Bring out your dears. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Here. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh. All right. It's the uh, Chance of Gaming podcast, Back from the Dead. Uh, this is episode 41, and I know some of you think, just didn't think we would ever, ever, you know, this would ever happen. We, we would come back. Uh, I do want to uh, thank all those nice people that reached out and were like, hey, um, where are you guys? <laughs> you know, uh, did you do a new show? I, or I can't hear it, or you're gone off iTunes and all that. And I guess uh, before we start the show, I'll just kind of give a uh, rundown of it, because uh, I don't even think Richard and Roy really know. Uh, and they're always here with me. Well, Roy is always here. Richard's with me 90% of the time, and this is one of those hey. times they're here. I was with you last night, Roy wasn't. That's true. <laughs> oh, where were you guys? So there you go. We were we, <laughs> we were interviewing Douglas Bush about what, oh. was, what was the thing, and I'll talk about that. Like I have never, um, I don't think I've ever felt dumber just just, <laughs> just from being in, in in the presence of a very articulate, intelligent person. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I was like, you know, you like planes, you know, and yeah, anyway, so it was bad. You anyway. could hear his raised pinky through the uh, through the audio connection. I guess, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He no, it right. wasn't that he was snobby. It's no, just no. that Adam he he was, was he was intelligent and articulate. Adam was talking about movies, and he was talking about the detailed specifications of surface-to-air missiles in 1987. So yes. And I was like, "You ever seen Top Gun?" You know. <laughs> so yeah, it was. Uh, I feel the need. Yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna crawl under a desk when I edit that interview tomorrow. Anyway, so uh, okay, so back to. I mean, yeah, you know, you guys missed this. Us talking about the weather and just getting off on complete tangents and all that stuff. And yeah, you know, you missed it's it. It's snowing here. It's se- oh. it's seventy. My, it's seventy-eight degrees. There's my degrees. weather report. It's well, we have degrees. had snow. I fully believe you have, uh, yeah, and um, up, up there on the wall in Michigan. The, the, the... Yeah, it's uh, so we've had a little bit of snow and it's melted, and a little bit of snow and then it's melted again, and so now it's just, you know, we're just just gonna be cold and gray. So, mm-hmm. yay for that that seasonal affective disorder. It's it's hot. <laughs> it's hot and gray down here. It's like seventy eight <laughs> degrees and overcast today. Which I did. I did get out my um, my little town I live in has you know part of their Christmas displays is somebody did a little Christmas village, like a wooden one. Yeah, I have no idea what scale it would be, but you know they're they're pretty big. You know, it's like a church, like the size of a doghouse, and it has like little people inside of it and stuff. So, like, okay, I got to interrupt you here. Only only a war gamer would be concerned about the scale of a nativity village. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I just know people are people are listening to this and they go like, well, come on, Adam, what scale is it? You know? What are the movement rules for the wise men? I mean, do they have to move? Do they have to maintain unit coherence, or can they? Are they like individual characters? That's a good. What's point. the range of a camel spitting? I think you know the, the wise men have to stay together as a unit. I think so <laughs> they have to maintain cohesion. They have to maintain cohesion. Yeah. So um, anyway, this it, this thing. So this they had this display. So like any normal sane person, 
I decided to get one of those. You ever see those things what the kids are wearing nowadays? The the little <laughs> pajama outfits that they wear, and they they have like you know like a, a there's a term for like it. a onesie for teenagers. Yes, yes, like a onesie for teenagers. You know, and it has like a hood and okay. A lot of times they're like you know it could be Chewbacca or it could be a dragon or whatever. So, like any normal sane person, I got a dinosaur one off Amazon, and I went down to this little holiday display and acted like Godzilla around it and took pictures. So, <laughs> I'll post those on Twitter sometime this week, you know. So, that's just normal stuff. Anyway. Oh, yeah, we were trying to tell you about uh, what happened to our show. Anyway, so uh, GoDaddy, at some point, decided they would stop bite range requests on my level of hosting and essentially what bite range request means is you could actually skip through the show like you could skip over this part and get to where we talk about star wars legion or whatever or as everyone's hitting that that yes. 15 second button over and over again right i know now. they're like holy shit that works now let's do it <laughs> so um they stopped doing that, and then they, uh, which also means you cannot, your show gets dropped off iTunes because that's a requirement for iTunes. So I spent a good six weeks, four six weeks, trying to trying to figure out what was wrong, and then finally getting them to admit what was wrong, and move the show to a new host, a cheaper, better host. So yay. And I was actually even able to move, like, all my archives and everything over. And all, all the episodes are there. Everything's there. So if there is any problem, just drop me a line at chanceofgaming at gmail.com. And uh, I'll try to fix it. But, yeah, if we ever disappear, that's a good place. Or Twitter. You know, we're Chance of Gaming at Twitter. And, uh, yeah, you can just find us there. And I'll, I'll try to tell you what's, what's going on. So... There you go. All that to say, uh, we have a sponsor, and he gave us a discount code that I think may be only be good for another three weeks now, because <laughs> it's COG 2019. <laughs> I don't know. Will we get COG 2020 next year? We talked about this. I don't know. Anyway, it's alterdementia.com. This great guy named Mike, he's doing Hero Forge and all this stuff, and uh, you send him a file... He'll print it and ship it to you, be it a fertility guide or a little dragon or <laughs> or whatever. He'll he'll make that happen for you. I know personally, I have uh, bought a bunch of six millimeter sci-fi stuff and have been looking for terrain. And everybody's like, "Well, just go, just get it printed." So I'm gonna send him some things that I got off of uh, one of those sites for free and uh, see if I print them. I did see one of the coolest things ever that I would love to get a quote from him, and I'll have him listed in the show notes. This is a Battletech forward base, complete, like, with, with hexes. Uh, the only problem is to actually... What is it called? Is is it an STL file? Is that is that right, Roy? What, what do you call I, it? I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I know that's what they're called, only because St. Louis has the, S, the abbreviation STL, and I've, I've noticed before... Looking up STL on Google will lead me to 3D printed files. <laughs> it's, the, it's the St. Louis file. The St. <laughs> Louis it's file like, extension. It's like the whole ASL thing. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Age, sex, location, and American Sign Language? Right. Yeah. Or advanced squad leader if you're like me. <laughs> Look, okay. Oh, yeah. Free $5, free $5 <laughs> idea. I'm reasonably sure you'll make at least $5 doing this. 
is start a, or just do it one-off as, as just pure comedy. Do a YouTube channel, or like I said, just a one-off thing, where you teach advanced squad leader using American Sign Language. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that my wife could help help you out with that. So, yes, it's teaching ASL using ASL. And while you're doing it, you could ask ASL. I don't know. Anyway. So, so this Battletech Forward Base, it's, it's an STL file, but it costs like $25 just to get the STL file. And this is like a enormous thing. It, it fits on like one Battletech map just itself. This thing is enormous. And I cannot imagine like uh, what you would need. <clears throat> like um, what, what is it? What do they call it? Filament? Is that what the 3D print stuff is called? I think something yeah, like it's, that. Yeah, like the, it's uh, the ink. It melts uh, in the head. Yeah. And so I can't imagine, like, how much this would cost, how long it would take, you know. I think to just print, like, Baby Yoda or something, you know, to, you know that might take 30 minutes or a day or something. I don't know, depending on size. What if I want a life-size Baby Yoda? You know, how much would that, you know, I don't know. You yeah. know what? I bet Mike could do it for you. I bet he could. I bet he could. Anyway. Yeah, yeah the, the Red Dragon is pretty good size, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I wonder how long it took. Yeah. The back got. Yeah. I don't know. So, uh, so what have you been playing lately, Rich? In, in the weeks and weeks since it's been <laughs> since we did a show. Yeah, I think since the last time we recorded, I played a brand new game called Settlers of Gatan. It just first came out, and right, yeah. No, it hasn't been that oh. long, has it? It's been it's been a few weeks. <laughs> no, I actually have been playing. Probably the game that I've been playing the most is Unconditional Surrender Europe, which is a GMT game. It's World War II. The entire you know, European side of the war. It doesn't do the Pacific stuff at all, but it's a, it's a big strategy game. Um, I would say, I don't know. I, I, we've talked about it before. I, I don't know how it fits in between operational and strategy. Cause you don't really get to make decisions as far as like what to build and when that stuff just sort of comes to you automatically, but you get to, you know, obviously you have to trace supply lines and there are political decisions as far as, who you want to ally with and stuff like that. But it's, it's a big game. It's a lot of fun. We've been playing, gosh, I, I don't even know how long we've been playing now. We've been playing since it was hot outside. I know that much. So it's, it's been a few months. We get together almost every Thursday and play for about three hours a night. And we, I think I, I'm guessing we've probably played this game for 30 hours so far. And we're probably two thirds of the way done. Um, but the guy that's playing Germany wants to move on to a different game. So we're, we're wrapping this one up and I'm just going to finish up solitaire, which is fun because it'll go a lot faster and I can play every single day. And I was playing the Russians. So as solitaire, I'm now playing everyone, but in my mind, I'm still the Russians and I'm, I'm starting to surround the German armies and probably next turn, I'm going to wipe seven or eight armies out just by surrounding them. So that's always fun. But that game's been going on for a while, and like I said, if we're maybe two thirds of the way in, we've been playing about thirty hours. We'd probably get if we if we all came together and played it out until the end, we'd probably get at least four more four or five more sessions out of it. So maybe forty to fifty hours of play. So the guy that's playing Germany wants to quit. Is he losing? <laughs> no, he's he's actually not. He's just um, I don't know. It's not that he's losing. It's just that I think he's. He's achieved the height of German power or whatever, 
and I think he, he doesn't really want to play defense. So we're going to move on to another game. We're going to start playing U.S. Civil War next. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that should be uh, well, vastly different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, def- very different game. We're going to see how it works as a three-player game because obviously it's it's set up as a two-player game, whereas Unconditional Surrender is is really a three-player game. It can be played as two, but is best at three. Whereas U.S. Civil War, we'll just figure out a way. And, you know, I think I think one of us will take the South and the other two will divide up the North or something like that. So we'll see how that goes. I just put U.S. Civil War on my table just last week, just play a turn, learn how to play the game. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that game. It's a game that I've wanted to play for a while, and I picked it over at the con this summer. So I'm looking forward to actually playing with other people. That's That's next on my table. And then I got I got a chance to play Tank Duel, which again I can't remember the last time we recorded, so I don't think I've talked about actually playing this game. Um, if I have, we'll, we'll just cut this part out. But Tank Duel, Enemy in the Crosshairs, it's a it's a new GMT game. It just came out a couple months ago, um, and I played it just two player. But this is a game that I really really want to play with a lot of players, like up to. I think it would just be a blast to play. Um, everybody gets a tank. You get a card, and everybody is... The distances are, are sort of... Um, you're always a certain distance from a hypothetical middle point of the battlefield. So you start like... I think you start like 1,200 yards away or maybe 800 yards away. And then you can move toward the middle. You can even cross the middle of the battlefield. and all the So all the distances between the tanks are relative. But once you get inside that 400 yard range or whatever the shots are going to start to be kill shots so you really need to find cover and stuff like that but it's just a really fun game it's it's not difficult it's not super deep or anything um but it's just fun it's it's definitely uh i don't know that i'd call it a beer and pretzels game because i like i can see like my daughter and my wife would look at that and i don't think they'd be interested in it but if you're a heavy war gamer it's definitely a beer beer and pretzels game and it, it looks like a lot of fun to play with a lot of players. What else you been playing? And then as far as family games, um, we play, we've been playing Marvel champions a lot. Um, we just got that when that came out about a month ago, I guess. Um, so we've been playing that one. Uh, there's a lot in the core set to the fact that I think we've played five or six times. And the only time we've won is a, a single time that I played just with my daughter two player. Um, and that's just like on the, the very easiest setting. So a lot of it is getting to know your deck. And, you know, when we play with my wife and my younger daughter, they're not as accustomed to that type of game. So there there's a learning curve there. But it's definitely a fun family game. There's a learning curve to it, but it's really good. Um, I like it a lot. And I think sometime in the next couple of days, maybe this week, we're going to get, I think, a couple more heroes and maybe another villain. So there's a lot in the core set. And... Um, with the expansions that are coming out, you know, it's FFG, so they're going to keep producing more stuff for it. They've got a good uh, IP that they can exploit. And I, I don't say that with any derision at all or anything. Obviously, they want to make money, but it's a good game and they'll keep producing stuff for it. So I'm looking forward to see what else comes out for that. That's Marvel Champions, the card game. And I also got to play Star Wars Legion, which I talk about all the time and I hardly ever get to play. Um, I went over, there's there's a, a good group that meets on Friday nights uh, just over in Illinois, not too far from here. Uh, so I went over and played with them, had a really good time. And then when my daughter came home from college, I played the skirmish mode with her. 
which I, I knew she would love this game if she got a chance to play it. And I was right. She loved it. We played it. I think we played three times in one night. So have you guys had a chance to play the skirmish game? That's no, that's I the, have not. That's the 500 point, right? Yes. So, and really when the course set first came out, a lot of people were playing 500 points cause that's all there was, but there were no really official rules for it. Well, now there's official rules for the skirmish game for the 500 point game. It's, it's one commander, you know, fewer trooper units and fewer everything. Um, it's even got brand new uh, objectives and battlefield conditions and all that stuff. So, and it, it's a free download. You just go to the FFT website and download their skirmish rules. And I just printed out the cards and th- threw them in sleeves and everything. Um, but it, it plays a lot faster. Like I said, we played three games in one night. Um, I don't think that I have enough rebels to play two full 800 point armies. If I do, it would really be stretching and using units like the T 47 that, you know, I don't really want to use anyway, but I've got plenty of stuff to play two 500 point game to, you know, have two 500 point sides play against each other. So we just set it up on the kitchen table. We use like cereal boxes and stuff like that for terrain. And we just, we had a great time. Um, you're talking about, uh, altered dementia earlier. And I was really thinking that I'm interested in getting some terrain for it because I do like to go up to miniature market or, or, or the game store over in Illinois, but it's, just so easy to set it up on the table and you can play it the skirmish game you can throw some stuff on the table and play it in an hour or so it's it's really fun and then the last (laughs) yeah absolutely that's what we played with i had i had a uh like a a a cylinder from like a big quaker oat cylinder or something i set that up for Mm -hmm. a tower i I put my snipers on top of that and i even took like uh and uh just a box that we got from amazon or something and cut it so that it had like a a tunnel and an opening that you could go through in the middle and everything. But, you know, obviously it doesn't look as nice as, as the, the really good 3d printed stuff, but it plays just as well. And it lets, lets you experience the game, which I think is the most important thing because I really think that Legion is, is a great, great tabletop war game. I love it a lot. Those, yeah, I'll those 40 K guys refer to that as poor hammer. <laughs> poor hammer. Well, I mean, if they want to spending other 40 K stuff, that's fine with me. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the time or, or money to, to paint or, or collect 40 K. Um, the Legion stuff, you know, my painting is actually getting better. It's still not great, but, um, it's getting better. I painted up Sabine a couple weeks ago and, uh, I, she's not worthy of any competitions or anything, but she's the best I've ever done. So, and then finally I've been playing Xbox because, it's weird. I actually just won an Xbox in a raffle a couple weeks ago, which is not something that I was really... I had an Xbox a long, long time ago and haven't had one in many years, so it's not something that I was all that you know psyched about or anything, but um, you know, I've got an Xbox now, and I only have one controller, so if my daughters want to play with me, they're going to have to buy me a controller for Christmas, but I downloaded a football game and a hockey game and the new Star Wars game, and I don't play it a lot, but I've been kind of bumping around on it. It's weird, though, because um, obviously I come from, uh, well, I'm, I'm older. I'm almost 50 now, and I play tabletop hex encounter games, so the twitchy stuff I'm not that good at. So I'm curious to know if there are any uh, slower-paced strategy games for Xbox. I honestly have no idea if they even exist. Um, if they don't, yeah, I know. If if they don't, that's fine because the Xbox is just a, a different thing that I can play. Obviously, 
it's not the same as playing a hex encounter game, but it's fun. It looks good on my my new TV, which my wife and I just got for each other as well. I'm trying to think. Oh, and, just one um, too. You know, I'll I, I think I'll do some research and do a do an article yeah. uh, on it for sure. I, I do remember it for the original Xbox them actually having a hex encounter um, war game. I think, yeah, I, think I wouldn't was, be surprised if John Tiller or someone put out something like that. I don't know that he has. I remember back when I was a kid, and I don't remember if it was Nintendo or, or what it was, but whatever console we had at the time, there was a game that was like a legitimate strategy war game, and I don't remember the name of it. It was something like Romance of the Three Kingdoms or something like that. It was like an Asian game, but it was a strategy war game where you move forces around. I don't remember what it was called. I just remember playing that game when I was a kid. Well, Teenager, yeah. probably. There's the, yeah, uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. That's one. Uh, Nobunaga's Ambition. Uh, that's That's been one. Um, this before. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll think about it and see what I can find that's available on Xbox. I will say yeah. I, I, I prefer my PS4. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, um, I can't be religious about it because I just want it in a, con- in a, in a, a raffle. So, again, I'm. I'm not going to play it that much, but I'll play it with my kids and I'll have fun as long as it doesn't. I'm not going to go online and play against 13 year olds with faster reflexes than me. Who are going to scream? I would encourage you to give the game fallout. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Talk about my mother. Yeah. Talk about your mother. Yeah. (laughs) I would check out fallout. Fallout? I really enjoy fallout. Yeah. That's kind of a, cause it's an RPG ish, right? Right. Yep. Okay. And it's uh, there is kind of the the it's a third person shooter, so it's there is kind of that twitch thing that goes on too. But there's also a thing called Vats, which is a, a system that you have, and you can pause the game, and it will give your your enemy that you're pointed at it will give various hit locations and the the okay. probability of hitting those, and then so you can it kind of makes it a little bit more accessible for for slow old guys like me cool. and apparently <laughs> okay. like you. Now, there's a lot of different <laughs> versions of Fallout. Just get, like, whatever the newest one is. Uh, no, no, no. I, I would Hold get on. Fallout Whoa. 3. Stop. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm go- I just started a fight. <laughs> don't don't get Fallout 76. That That okay. is the new one, newest one, and it's, it's terrible. And, um, okay. But it's it's not even what Fallout. It's multiplayer. It's it's terrible. Um, I recently played and beat uh, Fallout 4. <laughs> I really liked it, and okay. that's one. But three is absolutely you'll you'll put probably three hundred hours into it, easy. Cool. And it's great, great story. And great uh, New Vegas, also. Oh yeah, yeah. Fallout New Vegas and Fallout Three. Yep. Yep. All yep. right. You should I'll be able to grab them cheap, and um, yeah, and um, hundreds of hours. You know, you, you can get into that. So wow. I, 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 I was wondering why there was an Xbox on the list, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know. Okay, I'm amazed. So, Me too. <laughs> I so, never win anything. It was crazy. Oh, and you were like, so what, Xbox what is, One? No, it's an Xbox S. X, oh yeah, Xbox One S is what okay. it's called. Oh, it's a new one. Like it doesn't even have a. There's no disc or anything. It's all digital. You have to download everything. Oh really? So, okay. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay, well, Roy, what what have you been playing? Well, okay, so I've I I don't know if this is my my uh, unicorn or not, but I finally have have a copy of Wingspan in hand. I've been playing 
probably about four or five games of wingspan. Um, and it's uh, Adam, you and I played this at uh, at the con. Yes. Is that right? Yes, we did. Okay. Yep. Um, and that's you know I I find it 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 scratches so many itches because it's it's so, cool to look at the artwork and the cards and the little blurbs on the bottom and everything. Because I think if I recall correctly, the first time you played it, you said it looked nice and you enjoyed yep. it, but you weren't really sold on it yet. Is it growing on you? Um, yeah, so it's uh, Terraforming Mars. A lot of people compare it to that, and I can see that because uh, each card is unique. Um, and so, like, the, I don't know, the Scissor Tail Flycatcher will give you eight points, and then it might have a when activated. So each card, each bird goes into a particular zone. And some of them are wild. It can go into any zone. But so like uh, the barred owl will only go into a forest biome. And then when it's activated, so when you activate the forest row, and the forest row is where you gain food. So you gain your food out of the bird feeder. And then you go from left to right and activate each bird card that has a when activated power. So the Bard Alpha, example, has a uh, when activated, you look at the top card of the deck, and if it's smaller than 75 centimeters wingspan, you eat it. And it goes underneath <laughs> your Bard Owl card, and that counts as a victory point at the end of the game. So and there are other gate uh, card. So you're building habitats Let's and collecting birds? That's the, the yeah. theme of the so game? So each okay. habitat will hold five birds. Okay. Uh, and uh, to play successive birds gets more expensive because you have to pay eggs, too. So there's there's three zones in the game. Actually, there's four. So you can play a bird. You can play uh, activate the forest biome, which will gain you food and any kind of bird powers that are in that row. And then the next row is the grasslands, and that's where you lay eggs, and then any power that's in that row. And then the, the last zone is the water, and that's where you draw new cards and any powers in that row. So it's played over four rounds, and each round there's a different randomly determined goal. And so you're you're and at the end of the game you're tallying up the points for your um, bird cards, the bonuses that you get each round based on you know, whatever the chit is that you pull and then based on your secret goals. And there's some cards that allow you to take additional goals. Um, and then, uh, your cached birds, like the barred owl will eat other birds and you can tuck them underneath. And there are some cards that allow you to, um, cash food and that goes on your card and that acts as a victory point. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's not, um, I guess it's not especially competitive, but it's soothing, and it looks nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember so, being incredibly impressed with the, uh, the, the quality uh, of it. That's kind of the vibe I get from uh, from Viticulture, which is another Stegmeier game. Is I yeah. just find that game to be soothing. I mean, there is competition in it. You know, somebody don't take the spot you want or whatever. But for the most part, it's just you know, it's just fun to play and hang out with people and, and enjoy the game. I like mm -hmm. it. It is competitive, but it's not. Yeah, it's a different kind of competitive. It's Euro-ish. So having played Viticulture and Wingspan, uh, Wingspan, I think, plays um, plays faster. Uh, and 
that's there's not as much um, the player versus player interaction. Yeah. And really, about the only thing in Wingspan is that like, uh, if you really need a berry food out of the bird feeder and the person before you takes it, well then you're kind of you're kind of hosed, and maybe you'll be able to roll again and get and get a berry that you can pull out of there. Um, so that's really the all of the uh, the the PvP interaction is that, and of course you're competing for the the goals too. So. Okay. And you can play it uh, competitive. You can play it, uh, you know, not so competitive. Okay. And I, I saw at Miniature Market there's an expansion for it now too, uh, and European birds or something like that. Is yes. Do you know anything about that? Is it just just more birds and well, I, more European? Yeah. So I read the box, and what I like about it is this does not add any more complexity. That's good. I mean, That's it adds I more goals, yeah. and it adds more bird cards. But that's about it. It doesn't add, that, like, that here's like another rule me. that you have to incorporate. Yeah. What's that? Some expansions add too much Pardon to me? it. Some expansions add too much to it, and I think that's that's perfect if it's just adding just more birds to it. So. Yeah. So that's – I and I I don't know if I'll end up picking that up too or not. Um, but anyway, yeah, Wingspan. And then uh, I played Africana. What is and, that? And uh, so this is – this is uh, it's from Z-Man Games. It's kind of a it's a little bit akin to Ticket to Ride. Actually, it's a it's a pick up and deliver um, game that's set in Africa. So the various companies start in different cities, and to move from city to city, you have to play a card of the matching symbol that's on that city. And so um, the you go through three eras of the route cards. It'll say, okay, if I go from Timbuktu to Port Natal, which is on the southern uh, tip of Africa, then that will get me three victory points, and I can collect that card, and I'll get some coins for it, too. Um, And then there's – so on your turn, you're going to either move, you're going to draw cards, or you're going to um, buy a good that you're going to then deliver to another city. That's uh, Africana. Is a little – I guess you call it a pick up and deliver. So what's next? All right. So and I, I played uh, one game of KeyForge. It's been a while since I played in the KeyForge, but I played with uh, a deck that was given to me by, by my friend Dana, and uh, I want to play some more of this. It's um, yeah, I want to play more. I just uh, I don't know. I kind of I kind of fell out of it, and I want to get back into it. So that's a KeyForge, yeah. and I guess. There's the new expansions now that add in some additional factions. Okay. So I was wondering about that. And that's I about still, all I know about that. This one is on my, my short list to play while and my so daughter is finally, in college. And so finally, and I actually I did not I did not play this. I have not seen this game. I've heard of it. It's called Weapons and Warriors. Yes. And so this is a game from 1993, and it is a – basically it's a toy game. So it has <laughs> little spring-loaded catapults and things. Um, and, uh, so my friend Dana was taking this to be consigned at the game store and he said, here you go. I don't want this stuff. I want it out of my house. And then he mentioned it to his wife and his wife kind of freaked out and said, you should ask the kids about that. So he asked the kids and his son who is in a frat in in college now says, oh no, you can't sell that. I want to keep that. 
So um, he's like, I really wanted to get rid of this and not have it in my house anymore. Um, and uh, but well, Tristan wants it, so I got to give it to him. But he's going to leave it at my house. So I was thinking about this today. And I thought, you know, really, he needs to sell this to Tristan and like how awesome would it be to have this at school? I'm just thinking about the the awesome game of, of totally nerdy beer pong that you could have with a game of Weapons and Warriors. That's what I was thinking, too, is beer so, pong. It's perfect. Um, this is a game I didn't actually play. They, um, there's a, um, a kind of a newer version that, or a re-release of it or something. It's called something different. Anyway, when my old, my oldest kid just turned 17 and when she was like, I don't know, uh, eight or 10 or something like that, I bought a bunch of it and we mm-hmm. had a blast playing it. It was literally, we would just like, um, We'd set it up because, like, the the worst thing is, like, losing the balls for it. So you kind of have to have, like, a wall behind you or something, you know, to catch them where they won't, you know, fly off under whatever. And um, so we would set up and just, yeah, and try to each take a turn and try to shoot the other guy's little dudes off. And, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I wonder if this will be the next Restoration Games Kickstarter. I could see it. I yeah, I saw something about they had updated the uh, the Dark Tower thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, it uh, the Dark Tower looks really good. I have to say, and I'm like, <laughs> it, it really should though for what that whole thing cost. But whatever. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I've been uh, playing a little bit of Star Wars Legion, not a whole lot. Um. I played one game a few weeks ago and uh, played against Dana again. So he's uh, he's looking at getting some more speeder bikes, I think. So I've I've found that they're um, is he playing Imperials kind of a or glass is he playing, What's that? Is he playing Pardon Imperials me? or are you playing clones? He's playing Imperials. Have either okay. of you guys played uh, any of the Clone Wars stuff yet? I have played against the droids. Okay. I and the droids are a pain in the ass to fight against. And to assemble. The droids are a pain in the ass? To fight against, yes. <laughs> and to assemble, according to Adam. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so I, I had a, I was thinking about this, and so I, I took a Wookiee and I stripped the paint off of it and reprimed it, and I want to uh, make it up to be like James P. Sullivan. So uh, I'm going to have one Wookiee that's going to be blue with pink polka dots. So I have a set of Wookiee Warriors I haven't painted yet, and now you're making me think that I need to do this because pretty sure I've got those colors already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did so, you do uh, it already, or are you then, just going to? Did me? you do it already, or did, are you going to? Well, so I, it's in primer right now, and I need to. Okay. I've All been right. thinking about how to paint it, so I don't know if I if I like base it in like a light blue and then do like a uh, dark blue wash. If yeah. it's a way to do it, or if I need to do it in a darker blue. I'll have to think about that, but I'm definitely doing that now. I'm so, going to steal it, and I'll post it to Twitter. <laughs> okay. All right. I, that's fine. Uh, and then finally this afternoon, I went bowling, um, which, I don't know. It's Bowling's bowling, I guess. Um, well, how, how did you, how did you but, end up? You know, how I spent bowl? time with my, with my uh, wife and daughter and drank a beer, and it was a fine time. <laughs> 
What was your score? Uh, <laughs> so the uh, we played two games, and my first game was about seventy six, something like that, and the last, the second game was one hundred and seventeen. So I am not a pro at all. So you should have played. So I roll the ball down because... the lane and hope it knocks over some pins. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever broken two hundred ever in my, like my whole life. I did on. Wii. I think my best game ever was about 150. Hmm. I haven't played in forever either. It's one of those things like my uh, my hometown got a bowling alley like after I left. So I'm like, oh okay, well must be fun to grow up there now, because I didn't have a bowling alley. <laughs> you sound like you came from a pretty cosmopolitan city. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. Absolutely, it set the tone for fashion and everything. Yeah, mm. but I don't. It always reminds me of uh, uh, the Big Lebowski that uh, when the dude made the made the the line fault and Walter pulled out the nine millimeter was going to shoot him. If, uh... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I also yeah. Uh, he the the I don't roll on Shabbos. You know that that whole thing, yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. Don't fucking roll on Chavez. You know, it's like I don't. It's like I don't answer the phone. I don't. Da, 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 yeah. And I don't fucking roll on Chavez. Okay. Anyway. So. Uh. Yeah. All right. This is... So Adam, what you been up to? Um. You know, trying to put the on this month and a half or more that we uh, haven't recorded. Besides, like I was, I was playing um, IT, which is Internet Technology, and you putting the thing back together, and it was hard. And um, so, yeah. And after that, I actually managed to play some things. I actually managed to play um, Star Wars Legion for one thing. And it was interesting. Wow. I know, right? I know it's crazy. It's not only am I getting out and gaming, I'm playing Star Wars Legion. You know, the same thing. We've all played it at the same time. This is amazing. Somebody write this down. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is a special, special day. So, um, I, I like, uh, I'm friends with the guys that play. And, because uh, I, I met them playing X-Wing. You know, the sporadic amount that I actually played that. And just from hanging out in the shop, great, great group of guys. Um, they're older even than me, and I, you know, and I'm always feeling like the old person, you know, amongst the 40k kids and stuff. So I reached out to them. We have this whole group chat thing going that I've long since muted, but every now and then I'll pop my head in, like, "Hey, oh yeah, uh, I'm looking for a game this Thursday," and you know, a friend of mine popped on. He was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it," you know. And all this. And so he brought, like, this list that, like, was designed to, like, kill you and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 slow down, dude. I just <laughs> want to learn how to play. In fact, all I have is the rebel half of the starter box. And I don't even know how to make an army. So I need you to go from, like, the beginning. Like, help me, you know. I don't know how these guys fit together in units. I don't know anything. And so he took me through it. It was really patient, and it took me through the game, too. And I have to say, I was very impressed at how deep the game is. I thought it was just kind of a... Just basically just your average 28mm 
uh, large-scale skirmish game. But it wasn't. It has the, the card mechanic and stuff like that. I had no idea, like, you know, in your hand, you can only activate X amount of units per turn. And you have to be within X amount of room in order to even issue orders. All this stuff. It really blew me away that all that was going on. And yeah. not, not to mention, you know, just... The, the weapons ranges and you know all this different stuff was really really cool uh like i fielded uh having to deal with speeder bikes that was a problem for me um fielding my little snow speeder thing oh yeah and finally putting it together and i bought it at launch and if you guys remember all the problems they were having at launch with um duplicated parts like instead of yeah like, like uh, yeah missing arms and stuff well, it's usually not a missing arm. You would just have two right arms instead of having yeah, a right and a left. Yeah, yeah, I remember that with this with the speeder bikes and with the ATRTs, they would have like yeah, one of the arms is duplicated or whatever, which I think is why they went to the spruce. I I could believe it, but anyway, my my little snow speeder was um, had two back flaps that were the same thing, so uh, I don't know what I'm going to do uh, there, but. Uh, yeah, so I loved it enough. I want to keep playing. Um, I added things on my Christmas wish list because um, I have a bunch of Snowtroopers and Palpatine. So I want an AT, um, ATST, especially after seeing it. Okay, it's never, ever been more menacing than in that episode of The Mandalorian. Oh yeah, yeah, with the red eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was like the joke, you know. People were making. They were like, uh, "At um, sts in anything else is a joke, but in the Mandalorian, they're super scary. Look out!" And uh, yeah, so I wanted that, and I uh, also added an eWeb blaster thing for in my Christmas list. So we'll see. Uh, the other thing was bolt action. Uh, my friend moved back, moved to town that I used to game with 100 years ago, and he's like, hey, where can I get in a bolt action game? And I'm like, well, you can teach me how to play it. And it's a really easy, simple game to play. I really, really liked it. Um, I, It's just really, really uh, easy. I was a little worried being it's historically based that, you know, it was going to be one of those kind of rivet counting, blah, blah, blah things. But no, they kind of just do tanks as kind of generic as in, okay, this is considered just a medium tank and that is considered a medium machine gun or whatever on it instead of, you know, having different stat lines for every freaking thing like a lot of the games will do, so... That's of... interesting. I didn't realize that because I, I know that I think with bolt action, don't they actually have models for lots of different tanks? So are they just cosmetic then? Uh, they do. They do have a lot of them for ones. Well, I mean, like each each tank like has its own thing. I mean, it could be like a Churchill, you know, a Churchill 1D or whatever, which I, and I know, guys, you're yelling at the radio now. Uh, that doesn't really <laughs> exist, but it's the only thing I can think of offhand. And it will be like, well, we consider this tank to be this size, and the weapons on it, you know, we consider them to be this. It's just so you won't get bogged down in a stat line. I can think of, like, yeah. uh, other games. Like, the original Flames of War 
was a lot like that. The current version of Flames of War is not. It's more like like Bolt Action is. And uh, what is that game? Guys in, at my old club in Hattiesburg love. Command Decision. That's one of the ones that here's the charts that, you know, we're going to break out. And let's see, what year is it? You know, okay, this is a tank from this year on this front. It's armed with this. And here's the individual ranges for each, all of its guns. And yeah, so you can get bogged down like that. So, but I liked it. And those two games, both Legion and Bolt Action or something that I tossed on my list, um, my Christmas list. Uh, one of the things was I wanted a, a Japanese uh, starter army because I saw Midway and was like, wow, okay, yeah, let's, this is interesting. And, and I listened to Dan Carlin's uh, the latest uh, Supernova in the East, <clears throat> which yeah, actually before I listened to the latest episode, I had gone back and re-listened to all of them and was like, wow, okay, so now, now I want to play the Japanese in bolt action. <laughs> I did the same thing. I'm missing then... chapter one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he said that this Supernova in the East, I think he said is going to be like five episodes. So it's it's going to be a while. And every time he puts out a new one, I'm going to go back to the beginning and listen to it up to that point again. So I'll end up getting 30 or 40 hours of listening out of it <laughs> for free. So he's got a book out now. Yes, I know. It's on my, my, it's on my I'm wish list. my dad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely on my wish list. It looks good. I forgot about yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's what well, I can't think of the name of the title offhand. It's uh, it's, it's always the, the end, end of the world is always like near. That. Yeah, the yeah. end is always near. That's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so oh yeah, and the other thing with Legion is there's through no real fault of its own, Star Wars Legion is killing X-Wing in my area. Really? Yeah. It, I'm not seeing that here. X-Wing and Legion are both... Legion is doing a lot better. I have been compl sort of complaining in the last year that Legion seemed to not be doing well in St. Louis. Even though it was selling well, it wasn't develop uh, developing well as a community. But since the Clone Wars set, set came out, it's really taken off. And X-Wing never really died off here. X-Wing's always doing well in St. Louis. The problem we seem to be having in my area is um, Legion is cannibalizing the X-Wing players. It's, I believe the way it goes is like Thursday was X-Wing night. Well, people started coming out and playing Legion on Thursdays. And the local shop was like, hey, we'll just make this Star Wars game night. And so, you know, Legion's kind of the new hotness. Uh, you get a lot more releases and stuff than X-Wing 2.0. And so more X-Wing players started playing Legion, buying into it. And so Thursdays has become basically they're just playing Legion. And you have like one or two people kind of sitting around looking for an X-Wing game that doesn't happen. So I I don't know what the suggestion would be there. I don't know what to do. I mean, I guess it would be move one game to a different night, but eh, I don't know. It's just yeah, it's just where we're at, and it it kind of sucks. 
Although the guys will kind of come out and play more if there's a tournament or something. Like the week before an X-Wing tournament. It'll be like, oh, okay, I've got to get in some flying because I haven't flown in a while. and you know. But that's kind of like where we are with that. So, anyway. So, moving on to what's on your radar. What's on our radar here is uh, the first thing I have is the Giant Land, Giant Lands Fantasy RPG. And it's up on Kickstarter. And um, I wanted to talk about this for several different reasons. Um, first, I want to see how much do they want, or is it over? I cannot tell. It's weird. No, because you can still do it. I just can't. It doesn't show me how much they want. Oh, yes, there it is. I had to scroll down. It's weird. It's... Kickstarter has changed its little uh, format or whatever. Anyway, uh, apparently they wanted a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's really weird. A hundred bucks, that's all they wanted? <laughs> they just wanted to sell it to one of their friends. <laughs> and uh, they raised $8,001. And they have 77 backers. I, yeah, also I can't tell like how much longer it's got left. It's weird. I don't know. It's just how it loaded. Anyway, the reason why I tossed it on here, I wanted to talk to you guys about like gaming royalty. You know, as as in, like, you know, kings and queens and whatnot. Cause You're talking about the TSR talent? <laughs> yeah, the TSR talent. Because yeah. kind of like what they were pushing this, because doesn't, uh, like, a Gygax, yeah, Ernie Gygax, Ernie Gary Gygax Jr. is listed on here. And uh, so they brought in Larry Elmore to do art, which I was like, hold on. Okay, Larry Elmore did some really cool art in the 80s. That was like 30 years yeah. ago. Is he, is he still doing really cool art? I mean, how old is he now? Yeah, this is... It It, it comes across as odd. It comes across as name-dropping. You know, I, I learned from these guys, but, you know, did you work with them 30 years ago? Or, or what did you actually learn from them? I, I don't know if there's sort of a... They talk about it like in football, there's a coaching tree that comes down from some great coaches and, and leads to a bunch of guys that are still coaching today. I don't know if that's what they're going for here, but it just feels like name dropping. I mean, past that, it's it uh, it's post-apocalyptic fantasy, which I blame, um, what is that anime that was super duper popular? Attack on Titan. <laughs> I blame Attack on Titan for this whole run of post-apocalyptic fantasy. Because, uh, yeah, everybody wants to do it now. And it, this seems to be kind of a cool, you know, idea. Of, uh, you know, a place and whatnot. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it may be cool. It's definitely already funded. 30 bucks for the PDF is a little high, in my opinion. Uh, that is, but... But $70 for a three-volume box set is not bad. And I think it also includes percentile dice. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll give you a couple B10s. I mean... Yeah, and, and of course, <laughs> when I hear percentile dice, it makes me think it's OCS. You know, the, uh, wait, no, uh, old, no, O-S-R. O-S-R. Yeah. Old school role-playing, you know, like, uh, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Uh, oh, Roy and Dana play it uh, sometimes. Yeah, it's uh, actually Roy and Dungeon Crawl uh, Classics, and and Mike play it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mike from AlteredDementia.com. Right. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Da- Apologies, Dana. That's <laughs> not you. That's not Dana. It's Mike. 
Um, yeah, it's Dungeon Crawl Classics or Mutant Crawl Classics. You know, it's when I hear percentile dice, that's that's what I think of. Is this you know that kind of gritty, you know, you're gonna die, you know, try in this in this uh, scenario we're rolling up and yeah that kind of thing. But okay, hold the phone. Yes. For three hundred dollars, you can get the basic cosplay and boxed set, and the cosplay is a one-size-fits-all costume with a mask and stylized poncho. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't, mean, I didn't see that. Wait, do they have a picture of it? Because, I mean, I want to They do in. not have a picture of it, but one person has backed at this level. And for $1,350, $1,350, you can get the Superfan Deluxe Cosplayer Package. <laughs> I get three, well, I get three copies of the game... <laughs> A first edition Giant Land Spirit Keeper costume with deluxe mask, poncho, pants, and sandals. And sandals. All right. I also will be immortalized with your name in the game and get a handmade Giant Land's gauntlet. What's it made out of, though? You can't be making me some cardboard shit for like $1,300. <laughs> Plus, you get to join us at GaryCon. Okay. If when I, I see that the costume is a mask and a poncho, I think of those like cheap Walmart costumes where a kid will get like a Buzz Lightyear mask and just a poncho with a picture of Buzz Lightyear on it. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't think those happen nowadays. What you're talking about is what we, <coughs> what we grew up with for um, Halloween costumes, where yeah. it was it was a a plastic mask. That would cut you if you stuck your tongue through the math thing. The, the and the rub... elastic band would break five minutes. Well, no, it would it pull on. your hair. It would pull your hair. It would break. And then the rest of the costume is literally a garbage bag with, <laughs> yeah. uh, with like you know He Man or whatever printed on it. You know, sometimes it it would be like He Man's muscles, but a lot of times it would just be like the logo. You know. That's all it was. I don't know what you call those, but yeah, kids today don't know how good they have it. We had garbage costumes. Back you then. can get that for three hundred dollars. So you go out trick or treating, and then after that, you go and uh, wash dishes, and so you won't get your pants wet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very true. Of course, my mask <laughs> fell off. You, know, you sweat underneath it, you know, here in Mississippi, and yeah, because it's hot in October. Whatever. All right. Yeah, they're on Twitter and they actually follow us. I want to message them and ask them, like, all right, I need to see some pictures of the ma deluxe mask, poncho, pants, and sandals. I'm going to tell them Richard's interested in backing at yeah, that absolutely. level. But um, he's concerned about the pants and sandals. Will, do you, will you have yeah. his size? And he's a, he's a vegan, so the sandals cannot well, be leather. Yeah. And it says one size fits all, and I wanted to get that for myself and my 10-year-old daughter, so how's that going to work? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, God love them. They, they got the $100 they wanted, no problem. I mean, if they got 8000 that was probably 800 times what they wanted, so yeah. Although somebody has actually backed this at the $1,300 level. See, if I won the lottery, this is what I would do. I would do every single super bullshit high-end Kickstarter things. The, the more ridiculous, the better. And if I get to join them at GaryCon, it, you better damn well... That means I they pay for my hotel room and my badge and help Now, is, is GaryCon, is that what 
because I know Gen Con started. Yeah. Gary, you know, and then when they moved, did they start Gary Con to sort of replace what Gen Con was? I think so, because it takes place in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. It probably in in that same building. Yeah. So anyway, that's Giant Lands, folks. I mean, it's it. it, I mean, I know we didn't talk at all about the setting, but you can (laughs) see the link in the show notes. Maybe you want a mask and poncho. So uh, this it comes to mind here. The Superman Deluxe Cosplayer <laughs> said it has one backer. Is there I don't know if it has a backer. Find that person and talk to them. I'm not sure if it has a backer or if it's limited to one backer. Because oh, okay. that, that kind of concerns me. Roy, you and I, I know we're both really interested in this. So oh, yeah, you're it's right. You're first right. one it to is, get it. It is so, limited. Yeah, first it, one to yeah. get it gets it. And the other so, one's just out of luck. So if I bid like thirteen fifty, you could turn around and bid thirteen or fourteen hundred or something. No, yeah. well, no, it's, you have a bidding warrant. It's straight up. It's only one. It's whoever gets it. You just pledge. <laughs> well, it, that is true. It does say if you pledge thirteen fifty or more. Uh, yeah. What if I want to pledge fourteen hundred, but all I want is like fourteen hundred dollars worth of the sticker and button pack? <laughs> that's that's what I want to do. That's that's how I'm gonna do it. So let's see how many. All right, kids, we're gonna live do some math here. Fourteen hundred divided by five. That would give me two hundred and eighty sticker and button packs <laughs> for fourteen hundred dollars. That's what I want to do. That you would just hand out at the con. Yeah, just walk no around, reason. hand out here, just sticker, here's a button. <laughs> you know, how's it going? I don't know. I I like how they put this uh, together. I I do, and I. You know, and I'm glad it's successful. We're we're having a little bit of fun at their expense, but you know what? Hey, they're, 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 it's already been backed, and by and it was created by Stephen E. Dinehart the fourth. You know, when you've made it to like the fourth, and I actually know a, a guy like this. He's the fourth as well. You're kind of you're kind of committed to it. It's like okay, dad gun it, so yeah. I've got to have a kid, and my kid has to be the fifth. And just I'm not even Thurston Howell. Yeah, Thurston Howell from the from Gilligan's Island. He was only a third, and he yeah. was never going to have kids. I'm a junior, and I would never do that to a kid. I would never have a third, and I would encourage people not to have juniors as well. It's just it's <laughs> it's more trouble than it's worth. I mean, yeah. By by the time you're at number four, you are committed. You're on track. <laughs> you know, in the future, there should be like the twenty eighth. You know, or, or whatever. So. Anyway, uh, the next thing we have is Cephalofair. Did I say that right? I know Roy's here. I think Sounds you actually good. did. Cephalo- um, good Cephalo- job. Cephalofair announces Gloomhaven 2, Frosthaven. Well, I, I mean, okay, first of all, they missed a huge, huge opportunity here to be Gloomhaven 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. The Gloomening. The, glo- the Gloomening, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gloomhaven 2, there it is. Uh, and see, when Frosthaven, I think of Frostgrave. So, yeah, it does kind of bring that to mind. Yeah, I kind of, uh, I don't know. That's that's like, you know, shiver my my IP. It rust- rustles my IPs. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to think there. So. Yeah, it does seem kind of odd that they announced the mini-expansion... And then the sequel, really within, what, maybe a month of each other or so? I guess. So, uh, yeah. It, yeah. I, I don't, and I don't know why. I mean, 
I guess the other question I have, and I haven't heard, is this going to be a Kickstarter or not? Do you know? Ooh, that's a good point. Because Gloomhaven know. was a was a Kickstarter twice, really, wasn't it? Kickstarted once, and then they kickstarted the reprint as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. They kickstarted the reprint. They were like, "Look, this is all you get in this. It's straight up. Yeah. It's just a reprint. That's all it is." Yeah. And uh, okay, that is that's. A I mean, really if it is point. a Kickstarter, it's going to be. I mean, it'll be huge because people are, are going to buy it if they're bought the first two. And I mean, I play it and I love the game. It's there's there's still a lot in there though. I'm not sure I would kickstart it because I think I have enough to last me until it's available in stores again, even if that takes a couple years. So. Okay, and I, I'm checking now. Uh, the digital version is still only early access, and it's still twenty five bucks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not paying that much for, you know, an alpha basically. You know, I, the only good thing about the uh, about that though is if you buy, and I don't know if this is still the case, but I bought it when it first came out in digital, and the deal then was if you bought it then, you would get all the expansions going forward. I think if you wait until it's out of beta, then you'll have to pay for the expansions. So, hmm. Okay. Uh, maybe so. I mean, that might be a good deal. I mean, basically what they're calling that, they would call that uh, nowadays is like a game of the year edition or a, yeah. a season pass, you know, something like that. So, I don't know. Yeah, guess, that's the way Sentinels of the Multiverse does it with season passes, yeah. So if it's Gloomhaven 2, Frosthaven, is, are you now outside, I guess? You're, you're, it's not a dungeon crawler or it's a dungeon crawler, only it's outside? Well, in Gloomhaven, they do have some outdoor scenarios, but most of them are dungeons, but they're dungeons in different places on the map. I think this one is just set basically to the north of everything in Gloomhaven. So there'll probably still be dungeons and probably still a few outdoor scenarios thrown in in there. Hmm. All right. Well. But the outdoor scenarios, honestly, I mean, from the player's point of view, it, it still looks like a dungeon. It's just... You know, you have an outdoor area, but it's still limited in scope and it has what amounts to rooms and everything. So whether it's an outdoor scenario or a dungeon, from the player's point of view, it, it basically looks the same. It's just sort of flavor text. Well, all right. Well, uh, I guess the next thing we have is tell us about uh, Fall Blau. Yeah, so uh, this Saturday, December 21st, is our, our monthly gaming day for the St. Louis War Gamers or St. Louis Historical Gaming Society for the more politically correct folks, STL hugs, we like to call ourselves. Um, but we're doing another day with the designer. We did one a couple months ago with uh, the last hundred yards. We're going to do one, another one in a couple months. Um, we're going to try to make it a series as, as many designers as we can get to come in. But Greg Blanchett is going to do it with us this month, and he's a designer for Compass Games. Uh, he's got a game out, Fall Blau, which is already out, and he's got an upcoming sequel to Fall Blau called Karkov Battles. Uh, so he will be with us. Um, we're going to be giving away a copy of Fall Blah. Uh, Compass Games is kind enough to provide us with a copy of that. So if you are in or near or can get to St. Louis this Saturday, come meet us at Miniature Market at 10. It's, it is really fun to play a game with the designer. Um, I've been fortunate enough to do that a few times, and it, it's always enjoyable. So, yeah, Fall Blah this Saturday, December 21st, Miniature Market. And, oh, yeah, I see you have, uh, the next thing you have is 
Something I've seen discussed quite a bit on uh, Twitter. How do you pronounce it, by the way? Nevsky. Just Nevsky. Okay. Yeah, Nevsky. Sure. Yeah, this is uh, this is Volko's new game. Volko Grunka, GMT designer. He's the the designer of the Coin series, and I'm a big fan. Um, that guy we uh, interviewed so, that time. Yeah, we we did interview him. This is his new series. Um, which uh, I'm drawing a blank on what the series is called. It's called Levy and something, but it's it's basically medieval combat based around a 40 day uh, cycle of of getting your 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 uh, your lords to to give you troops to go fight battles for you. And this first one is is fought between the the Teutons and the Russians uh, in about the 1200s, I believe. The next game. In the same time period, I think it's going to be in North Africa, but Nevsky just came out. I just got it a few days ago. I've opened up the box, haven't even punched it yet, um, but that's that's what I'm going to be diving into this week, probably. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's a Volko game, so I'm, I'm excited about it. I saw some grumblings, you know, here and there because... <laughs> about the box? <laughs> um, what about the box? It's... Okay, it's got an ugly cover. I mean, the, the cover art for the game is just not good. I don't, I don't know, I don't know why they chose that piece, but it's just not a good cover. Um, it's funny because we're going to play the interview with Doug Bush in a, a few minutes here, but uh, the the art for Red Storm is literally a piece of art. It's beautiful. Nevsky's not a good looking box, but I'm not going to judge the game by its box. I'm looking forward to playing it. So yeah, I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you're going to get in a fight with was it Paul Dobbins? That's yeah. Is he the artist on that one? I see something in the bottom right of it. Is yeah, he... there was actually some controversy when they released the cover art, with a lot of people who were complaining about it. And I haven't read the article, but GMT even put up an article basically saying, "Here's why we chose this cover art." So. Honestly, I don't care. I hardly ever look at it. It goes on my shelf sideways. I see the side of it. Um, I see the map, which looks great, and I see the counters, which look fine. Just not the cover art. I mean, honestly, um, I I like the art. I thought it was like some kind of (laughs) old school throwback. You know, that's what it reminds me of, or like uh, kind of like the '80s boxed games, be it a board game or, or an RPG that you would get. Yes, yeah, so it, it feels the cover does look like an old RPG, but it doesn't really look like an old board game. Hmm. Okay. In, in my opinion, anyway. But uh, I think the the controversy I was reading on was like people were like, "Well, it's not really a war game; it's more of a Euro." And I don't like the direction, you know, that this is where yeah. they're going, and blah blah blah. And I don't know. Who cares? I, I mean. You know, we can have this argument forever. I mean, people will argue about what's a war game. People will argue about what's a heavy enough war game. If, if don't buy it, but I mean, don't tell other people what what they can't have either. <laughs> Did you guys hear the latest uh, Wild Weasel podcast? <laughs> I did not. Oh, so Marco Wargamer, uh, basically, I don't want to get into it because now we're talking about a beef between a YouTube channel and another podcast. But Marco Wargamer basically was just proclaiming for all Wargamers what should and shouldn't be published. And and uh, 
Bruce Garrick on Wild Weasel, who's just like the nicest guy in the world, basically just told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> and it was hilarious. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I would, honestly, I would like to read that, you know, uh, the actual rundown of like what he thought, you know, is it like what he thought classifies a game as a war game or or what war game no it was it was more about the weight of war games and what people should and shouldn't be publishing but um it's it's kind of the same argument here with Netscape. i mean whether you're talking about the weight or what classifies as a war game i mean some people just like to argue about stuff you know are coin games war games is twilight struggle a war game true does a war game have to have hexes and counters and a combat results table who cares? I mean, does it really matter what we call it? I I consider myself to be a war gamer, and I haven't even played this yet, so I can't judge it. But I'm certainly looking forward to it. Hmm. Okay. I mean, so go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm go, I'm going to change subjects a little bit. So continue. Uh, I, <laughs> I think I was just going to say. You know, it's it's kind of like that thing with Star Wars fans and whatever is people feel entitled to a fandom like, you know, because I'm invested in it either monetarily or emotionally. I feel like it should be a way that satisfies me. And when it doesn't, you know, I get angry and I get on the Internet and I type and, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're we're probably going to see that argument explode again next weekend when the new Star Wars movie comes out. Is that next weekend? I wasn't sure when it was. Yeah, it comes out Friday. Yeah, I knew it was coming out this month sometime. And yeah, like I said, I I fell out of love with Star Wars years ago. Not for, I don't think, any particular reason. I just stopped caring at some point. And um, yeah, so I knew there was one coming. But it, it is interesting of... Like, I have friends that are rabid fans and how they reacted to The Last Jedi and how they are behaving and what they're posting and stuff like that into the run-up to this one. Is this the last movie? In well, the no, last but of this, this is the series. last Skywalker movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, this yeah. was supposed to be a trilogy, right? And Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a trilogy of trilogies, if you want to call it that. They're going to do more Star Wars movies, but this right. is the last of the Skywalker saga. Okay, yeah, so... Um, so, yeah. anyway, what I was going to say is, uh, Nesky, you, you guys were talking about um, cover art that's not that great. So I've added um, the War of Whispers um board game geek entry and as far as cover art i've not played this game but it looks fascinating just by the by the cover art Um, whispers yes that that looks like a fantasy novel to me um yes and yeah it looks like it has a really cool art style I so like this reminds me of uh, I think it's basically it's you're manipulating various factions to to do what you want to do. But I just I'm I'm fascinated by this this painting. And this game is called A War of Whispers. So there's a, a hooded figure with a sword who is uh, surveying the landscape of a, a, a fantasy city, essentially, or plane, I guess. And apparently this artist has done a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff for uh, FFG looking like. A lot of Call of Cthulhu, Battles of Westeros, uh, Arkham Horror. He did Dominion. 
Yeah, okay. So this guy's been working quite a bit. He has 11 pages of stuff he did artwork for. So, yeah, I've yeah. been eyeballing this this game just based on this photo or on this yeah. on this painting. Hmm. Artwork's important. There's no denying that. Um, you know, it's it's not the most important thing, but it is important. And it's probably especially important for for people who were not naturally interested in your game. Like I said, I'm a big fan of Volko's work. Um, so when he announces a new series, I don't care what the cover looks like. I'm going to buy it. Mm. But yeah. sitting on the shelf there will some be some people that look at that and go, eh, no. <laughs> yeah. and, and some people look at it and go, hey, cool, an old-fashioned RPG, and then they open it up and it's a point-to-point a, a -point <laughs> medieval warfare game. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think the next thing you had on here was uh, Hungarian Rhapsody. Yeah, the new OCS game. Uh, actually, I'm not sure if it's a reprint. I've never played this one, um, so I don't know if it's a reprint or or an actual new one. But it's it's uh, you know the the end. I guess you'd call it late World War II with Soviets invading Hungary. Um, it's a but it's a big OCS game. MMP just announced that they're up to I think 449 pre-orders and they need 550 to send it to print. So I just wanted to put this out there for our millions of listeners please go pre-order that because <laughs> i wanted to get to 550 because i want to get my copy of hungarian rhapsody so is it, there's is it, my my message for the day is it better than a bohemian rhapsody i hope so okay just curious yeah. bohemian rhapsody is not a working because it doesn't have hexes encounters well does Hungar <laughs> does hungarian like rhapsody have like lots of harmony I'm just saying. It could. It could. It could. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The sound of the the machine guns and the artillery fire are a perfect yeah. fifth apart. Could be. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. Uh, the next thing we have is this um, interview we did with Douglas Bush that we'd been trying to get to happen since I think end of October when we first started talking about. Um, his uh, game, Red Storm, The Air War Over Germany, in 1987. Specifically 1987. And, uh, yeah. Like I said, um, I felt really dumb in this interview. <laughs> because he's, like, incredibly intelligent and articulate. And, he, man, he's at a level that I was not at. And um, <laughs> I couldn't think of, like, intelligent questions to ask. So I asked dumb questions so i'm sure when i'm yeah i'm gonna crawl under the desk and edit this interview and um yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean literally you'll you'll hear it you'll hear my dumb self in here asking him maybe you could edit yourself asking some better questions and then just <laughs> you know splice those in <laughs> so how fast you know eh. and an sr-71 go if it was at 827 feet over the hungarian alps and, and it and he'd be like, well, what month is it? That's important. You know, so yeah. Real smart guy. <laughs> he was, it was a real great interview. I was glad to get it. All right. Uh, with us is game designer Douglas Bush. And I'm sorry, he's Doug Bush. And we wanted to talk to him because we had mentioned uh, several times Red Storm, which is out from GMT. And uh, it is about the air war over central Germany in a World War Three that didn't happen in 1987. And uh, Richard, did you pick this up? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I got this as soon as it came out. Um, yeah, I was, I'm was. i a big fan. Okay. All right, Doug, uh, Just we're, we're happy to have you on here. Tell us, how did you come up with the idea for Red Storm? Yeah, well, um, I was in love with uh, when Lee uh, Birmingham Wood came out with Downtown uh, back in like 04. Uh, loved the game, loved the scale. It was different than anything I'd played before. Um, and then, you know, uh, Elusive Victory came along in 09 by uh, Terry Simo, who did most of the work. Also really liked that. Um, and then um, just, you know, I was a, a Cold War kid, loved airplanes, uh, didn't have eyesight to be a pilot, but was still a airplane junkie. Um, and then uh, just started talking to a friend about how cool a, a late 80s version of downtown could be with F-15s, MiG-29s. SU-27s, SU-24s, etc. So that was, you know, like, uh, I remember the conversation. I was driving with him to a uh, advanced squad leader tournament, um, and we had this conversation in the car. And then, unbelievably, um, when I just emailed, you know, Gene um, uh, out of the blue at GMT Games and kicked the idea around by email a little bit and uh, bounced it off of Lee, shockingly, they both said yes and kind of just turned me loose, which was a pretty awesome since I never completely designed my own game. That gives so this me, is, that gives me this, a lot of hope because I have some pretty crazy ideas for games. So I'll, I'll, so what you said for it to work, I just email them and they'll be like, okay, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I did, I did have a little groundwork laid. I was <laughs> um, a major, I guess, kind of co-designer. I helped a lot with uh, Next War India Pakistan, um, uh, an earlier title by GMT that. Um, that uh you know they had done and i worked on that with mitchell land and um that guess i guess that gave me a little street credibility that i wasn't just some uh you know loony off the street with a crazy board game idea um and they at least kind of went ahead with okay well we'll see how this goes and um i kind of had somebody vouching for me i i've heard mitchell like is a really nice guy he smells nice he does well with the ladies that's what i've heard i don't know be careful i don't know be careful about that well with the lady stuff. Mitch is a friend of mine, and he's happily married. So. Oh, okay. So I didn't know that. Okay, okay. So I, he, yes, ladies love him, but he's married, and yes. Um, I can't vouch for smell. I've actually never gotten to meet uh, Mitch in person, even though we've worked in depth on, like, multiple games before. But that's modern board game design. A lot of it is uh, remote and online. So I, the first time I ever even heard of Breadstorm, I played a game um, with a friend of mine over the summer. We played um, Downtown. And I yep. had heard of Downtown. I had never played it before, but I just instantly fell in love with it. And just over the course of talking to him, he's like, yeah, well, the next one, you know, Downtown is out of print. You could probably find it somewhere, but Red Storm is coming out. So I instantly pre-ordered it, got it, started playing it. In fact, I, I played with Mitch a couple weeks ago, and he and I are trying to find time to play again. Um Nice. But the game is just, first of all, it's, I know it's part of a series, but if you consider the series, I haven't played the, uh, the Middle Eastern one. I forget the name of it. Um, Elusive Victory. I haven't yep. played that one, but as a series, it's, it's really unlike anything else I've played, which is part of the reason I love it so much. I like, I like the planning and then see how that plan goes into effect. Yeah, there's not, that's one reason I, I love the series and I wanted to do it. There's not much like it. Airplane games tend to be, either zoomed way in like individual aircraft um, where the turns can be, you know, 10 seconds or something. Um, or uh, like even the old uh, GDW series, like air superiority 
um, and airstrike, or zoomed way out to uh, a much higher level where you're moving squadrons around, like some of the D, uh, GMT titles that were um, also Lee's games that were uh, bomber-type things, um, World War II games. So it, it's unique in scale, um, and you get the operational flavor, um, which is what really uh, drew me to it, because there wasn't much like it. Um, and uh, it just gives you a chance to see the bigger picture, which is often lost in air games, I think. Yeah. It sounds to me like you grew up kind of similar to me in a way. Uh, Cold War kids growing up in the 80s, being a big fan of military and planes. I'm from St. Louis, so I get to watch the mm-hmm. F-15s take off over my house all the time. And that was just my favorite plane in the world. And I just I wanted more than anything to, to go fly those in the Air Force. That didn't happen, but I still love F-15s. Um, but just thinking, I remember as a kid reading the Jane's books at the library. You couldn't even check them out, but you had to go to the library and read them and looking at all the data. And I'm guessing that, is that some of your, your sources for, because you've got really detailed data charts for all the planes and all the SAMs and everything. Is Did you go back to Jane's or where'd you get all that? Yeah, so um, combination of a lot of hardcover books. You know, I'm looking at my shelf right here with the Jane's All the World Aircraft 8889. Yeah. You know, which I found online for like, you know, 50 bucks even though it's a it's a brick um jane jane's avionics from the same year um world air power journals so i found it that's i found it so many hardcover books uh, both from the time and then um since then um but uh i also was able to just you know explore the i don't know how people did game design before the internet the the wealth of data that's out there online you know all open source all stuff you can use and reference um and people who would reach out because, um, you know, I'm not, I was not a pilot. Um, I was in the army. Um, but the guys who would reach out with, uh, air force backgrounds, um, which was also amazingly helpful because you can rivet count all day and understand how fast planes move in on, uh, on paper, but, uh, that's not how they normally operate. So, you have to dial back a lot of the kind of hypothetical settings. Yeah. So, so what is the next step from, I mean, going from, well, I know this plane can fly this fast and this missile has this range to actually gamifying the, the whole thing. Yeah. So um, that's where Lee's design, Lee, Lee, uh, his, his design with downtown and Terry, um, Terry is a fighter pilot, um, was a air force weapons school guy in F 16s. Um, they, uh, it, you can get endlessly lost in detail. So, you know, you've, we started out with kind of using their their level of detail, which is this is not harpoon, this is not um, this is not uh, air superiority. It's um, you've got to somewhat aggregate capabilities into rough categories um, while still leaving enough flavor there for the planes, um, you know, uh, special capabilities to come through. Like on an F-15, it's the radar and the beyond visual range missiles. Other than that, if you look at the ratings, they're very good, but they're not dramatically different than um, like an SU-27. Um, and then Lee's other big design feature is the morale aspect, which can dominate the game, actually. You don't see it when you read it, but you once you start playing it, you realize that, man, if I blow one morale check, if I commit this flight of four aircraft too early in the wrong circumstances, it's going home. If I mess yeah. the dice, yeah. If I mess the dice up, and that—that's a hallmark of Lee's games—is the morale aspect, which I wanted to carry over from the previous games while just adding all the Cold War technology. And it's not even just the one bad roll; it's the you know, if you've got a combat air patrol, 
by his third or fourth engagement, he just doesn't want to fight anymore, assuming he still even has weapons. Yeah, the morale will erode or just run out of weapons. Yeah. Um, so, so you can't just, you don't have total control over your forces, which I like, um, as maddening as it can be. It's much more realistic than being able to fly planes endlessly. That's just not real life. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you went to an, uh, you were on your way to an ASL tournament. And I know Richard, Richard is a big uh, player for it. Do you still play? How long have you been playing it? Oh, yeah. I've been playing Spoiler since uh, late 80s. Um, and uh, what really kicked it into high gear once I moved to the Washington, uh, D.C. area because there's so much squad leader here. Um, the tournament I was going to was Winter Offensive, the big uh, MMP one. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I still play. Um, kind of dropped it for a few years and focused on other games because there's so much to choose from, but I've I've gotten back into it uh, fairly hardcore the last couple of years and, um, you know, fallen into that terrible ASL trap of buying almost everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, Crow de Guerre, I just mutilated that, even though Roy isn't on the show, uh, is coming yeah. soon. I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, I'm going to have to pass on that one. I think the next one I get will be Rising Sun when they reprint that one. Uh, I am curious, like, what else do you play? Well, um, a lot of squad leader, but a lot of other, um, and a lot of non-hex games. So, I mean, I play hex games, mostly squad leader, Red Storm. Um, I'm playing um, uh, American Revolution uh, Monmouth, one of the modules GMT did. Um, so a lot, a lot of hex encounter, but um, there's a couple of groups of guys around here I get to get to with when we, we just play Euro, so or something like them. So like a couple of weeks ago, I got to play Here I Stand with uh, a couple other guys. It was great. Um, good friends play euros with like uh even uh, a lot of the um uh, eklund games like greenland uh i just got the incredibly blinged up kickstarter pax porfiriana uh that i haven't even taken out of the shrink wrap yet um so a lot of different ones they're really kind of two groups of friends there's a little bit of crossover people but it's kind of two sets of gamers i find Okay, yeah, I certainly understand that. I have friends that just do miniature games and then have ones that just do board games. So, hmm. yeah. you do any any miniature gaming at all? No miniatures. I, I was never able to... Uh, I'm not an artist. I can't... Even if I bought them, I couldn't make them look good. So yeah. I've never gotten never gone down that path. My wife is uh, annoyed enough with the shelf space the board games take up. <laughs> How many would you say you own? Uh, I don't know qualifies as crazy it's compared to some stuff i've seen online it's not i don't know maybe i don't know 40 or 50 oh yeah that's you you're just a yeah you you've just got into board game it's fine tell her it's fine <laughs> tell her there's much much worse much much worse asl only counts as one though right so yeah no uh, modules you buy <laughs> it does even though it's like a full yeah a full bookshelf of planos and binders and yeah other stuff yeah now, I'm very curious. I, I had one question I really, really wanted to ask you about this. This is Red Storm. This is the hypothetical, you know, uh, World War Three. It's kicking yep. off. All right. What music would you say would make a great soundtrack to this game? <laughs> it takes place well, in 87. What, yep. what would be good? Um, well, if you look at the scenario names, you will find several musical titles. Um not all perfectly on 87, but uh, 99 Red Balloons, The Final Countdown. Um, some, uh, some Cold War gems are there from, from awesome. that era. Um, also some, uh, some references to movies. Um, I don't know nobody's noticed it yet or at least told me they noticed it, but you know, one of the scenarios is 
I um I must break you, which is of <laughs> course even Drago's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's I tried to hide all kind of uh awesome uh Cold War references in the uh the scenario design, which is the most in some ways the most fun part of the game is the scenario design. Dadgum, I love that. Absolutely love that. And I will say, like looking at the the names of the fighters and different aircraft that are available in here, I yep. it, it immediately makes me think of the Wingman uh, novel series. Mm. Are you familiar with that at all? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I haven't read them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's basically mi- military porn. Basically, is what it is. <laughs> it's it's you know, America was attacked, destroyed, and like this yes. one guy in an F sixteen. Like, pretty mm. much, like, you know, saves, you know, reconquers America and everything. Anyway, so, yeah. I'll pop up the link in the show notes, but, yeah, it, it reminded me a lot of that. Because but when I was a kid, uh, in reading those, uh, I had never heard of, like, uh, an F-117 and mm. that kind of stuff, which made me, like, hit the library and look all these up. And it, it caused in me, like, this whole lifetime of just, like, interest in, in planes, especially like from that era. We, uh, yeah. my, my friends and I used to bug the guidance count. We were like in like junior high. And so we mm-hmm. bugged the guy, uh, the guidance counselor for like, uh, air force, um, pamphlets and, and stuff like that. Anything that like she'd be willing to, to give us. And we were all about reading like the, uh, the F one seventeen. It was like, well, who would win, you know, versus the F 15 and the, uh, you know, the MiG 27 or, or whatever. And just, yeah. So I, I really dig this. Yeah, the, the some of the... I mean, I had a, a long time to research this game. Gosh, almost too long, because you keep finding new cool stuff. Um, you know, I would have I would have some scenarios in mind uh, with the Soviets, and then a friend would send me this thing, like, hey, did you see this uh, declassified, you know, CIA report from 1978? and of course i'd have to read that and go oh my gosh i have the whole raid wrong and i'd have to redo the whole scenario (laughs) um i also uh people just kept wanting to add in you know the core game could have just had just the tactical fighters but a lot of people wanted more like f-117s which are hard to model in the game but i i tried uh and some of the big boys like b-52s um tu-22s and some of the bombers that people wanted to be able to at least, you know, mess around with. Um, but yeah, the long, the long time I had before I got to GMT's art department um, was uh, kind of good and bad. That's one reason that there's so many scenarios is I had like too much time to come up with cool scenarios. Speaking of the artwork, the box cover, I mean, that should be framed. Is that original art or is that from, was that a previous piece of art? No, that's original. Um, so good. And, yeah, exactly. I, I, I had seen um, Antonis's work before on some other box covers. I think he did like Holland 44 and, oh, okay. yeah, and sure some other GMT games. And I just said, that guy is the guy yeah. for the box art. And <laughs> it's amazing. You didn't, didn't need much guidance. All I did was tell him, you know, probably SU-24s would be cool. And he came back with that, and all we had to do was add a couple little things to it. And uh, yeah, that guy's terrific. Wow. Um, yeah, most gamers, awesome. were, yeah, gamers are all. Most of us, we are all suckers for good box art. Now, do you have anything in mind, like for the future, like an expansion or, or anything, like maybe taking the air war into uh, I don't know uh, North Africa or, or something like that? Mm. So the one uh, expansion that's currently 
GMT committed to, it's on P500, is uh, Baltic Approaches. So it's uh, it's the same game and the same time, but the area of the map is um, the Baltic in and around Denmark. So uh, with that requires adding naval units to the game. So that that's kind of the big the hook there for like some new facet of the game that's never been done before. Um, we also talked about going south toward the Alps, which could get you like the Czechoslovak Air Force, the French Air Force. Um, so uh, yeah, if people uh, if people like them, um, I'm happy to keep cranking out expansions. I love doing I love doing the research. Um, the design, the core game design is kind of set now. So uh, the expansions are um, just adding more and more options for players. So you're an ASL fan. I assume you're interested in World War II. Any chance we'll see something in this system come out, you know, bomber raids in World War II, stuff like that? Uh, well, Lee, Lee sort of did that. I mean, I've never played it, but Burning Blue, I think, although oh, really? that was a, that, I think that was, that may have been more of a squadron level game. Um, was, I think that was, yeah, pretty sure that was Lee back in the day. Um, you could do World War II at the scale. Um, you know, everything would be kind of slow unless you adjusted the scale of the movement points, but you could certainly do it. Um, it would just be like this game with no Sam's, flak only, right. all dogfights, slower planes. So, I mean, a friend of mine wanted me to look at doing like a 1950s. So, in other words, instead of coming ahead from downtown going backwards, like for Suez. Um, hmm. But, uh, you know, I wanted the high performance aircraft and the long range missiles and the, the ridiculous Sam's and all that. But you, you could go, you could take it backward. The basic model would work. So how about some strategy advice for me? Because when I played Mitch, uh, yeah. we played, I think, the third scenario. He he played uh, the Russians, and I played NATO. And yep. he won by, like, the absolute highest victory margin possible. He completely destroyed <laughs> So I need some help. <laughs> well, so first of all, that scenario is a little stacked in the Soviet <laughs> uh, A little, it's, I don't feel too bad. Um, and... Um, so the the good the greatest thing about the game and it's in the a lot of it in the design notes is um, you can try it different ways. So um, you can try sending all your guys in up high at high altitude, and you're just you're just uh, hoping the Sams don't get you, but you're avoiding the ground fire from flak and uh, uh, infrared Sams. Or you can just go in super low and um, avoid the Sams because of the terrain, but then you're risking uh, other fire. Um, the biggest thing players don't do is give the uh, suppression of enemy air defense forces time to do their job. And sequencing um, the seed forces and the bomber forces coming behind them um, is the hardest thing to do. It's, I, I still have trouble doing it. Um, and uh, that simulates real life. It's, it's all these different parts of a raid have functions and how do you get them all to work together. And that's the coolest part about the game is when you can get that right. Oh, and the other thing is you need to do is you you need to roll higher, apparently. Yeah, I think that's probably maybe what it was. I, I can always play the dice. <laughs> so is it a D6 game? No, it's 2D20. Ah, okay. Um, wow. Which, uh, yeah, it's, um, so it's a, which I carried over from the previous games. It's a fairly easy odds system to work with um, once, you can, once you write it down and you can look at it. Um, it's it gives you a wider range of possibilities than a, a D6 or a 2D6 game. I feel, yeah. I feel like we could get some crossover with uh, D&D players, you know, and come on, you've already got the D20s. Come on. Come on <laughs> yeah. It's headed that way. You could head that way. I use, like, a lot of gamers, like, um, 
even though the game has a bazillion counters, four and a half counter sheets, not everything's there probably. So I still use D and D dice to like mark movement points, stuff like that. All right, if you could. So make... Doug, you talked about the number of counters. How do you fit it in the box? Because I can't. <laughs> well, it fits when it shows up, right? Um, yeah. So, that's right. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, and that's one where I, you know, I was, I like a game like this. I always end up with the counters and plan those anyway. Um, I suppose depending how many you clip out, it's you may be able to get them in there with the baggies, but yeah, I know it's a lot, but, um, I decided to, (laughs) I was about to say, I I decided to err on the side of more counters. Yeah. If you could make a game in another, in another time period, fantasy, sci-fi, or just, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, is there another one that you'd be interested in trying? Uh, you mean an airplane game or just anything? Just anything. Um, I'd really, uh, yeah, I mean, if I could come up with the game I would do, it would be, um, an operational level ground combat game um, with, and here's where, here's why this may never see the light of day with like the most realistic logistics system ever. Um, <laughs> nobody, everybody cheats on logistics design in ground <laughs> games. Uh, and I was in the army. Um, I can assure you that just having a road doesn't mean like infinite forces can draw supplies on it. Um, <laughs> it and you can do stuff in games that it's just, most games, it's just kind of ridiculous. Um, the only one that sort of tries is the uh, OCS series, um, uh, Operational Combat Series by MMP, um, which I love. And that's World War II in Korea. They could update that. I think that would be really cool. Um, and if I had to pick one era to do, a really cool thing that nobody's done is um, late Vietnam War, like uh, minimal Americans, uh, but before the uh, South Vietnamese collapsed. You could do that as an operational level ground game. Um, or Middle East, or a Cold War one, with just a really good, um, yet elegant logistics and like artillery and air support system. It's really hard, because you guys, the Hex Encounter world has a lot of great, really complicated games, but eventually the I find the uh, the rules just take over, and it's too much, even for me, who, who loves a game like Squad Leader. Um, <laughs> you're just fighting the rules at a certain point, um, rather than kind of having fun with it. Yeah. What's it, what, is it, what do they say? Amateurs talk tactics, professionals talk logistics. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. Um, it's um, like in uh, Next War India Pakistan, which I helped design, and I love the game. It's so much fun. But the, the odds of Pakistanis being able to actually maintain an offensive with five or six core at the same time, mm, unlikely. Um, yeah. But didn't, you know, it's a game supposed to be fun and you can assume anything you want uh, with a hypothetical game and um it's more interesting if you've got more options so i i worked on that in red storm a lot i tried to i kept being tempted to add more rules and constantly was cutting stuff out which i know doesn't sound like it since the rule books for 64 <laughs> pages um but i i really was uh fighting that urge because uh, i play you know i've played a lot of games like that so what was the last thing in the game that did not make it into the final game, the last cut you made? Hmm. Um, in terms of rules, um, I toyed for a while with a way to have, like, AWACS aircraft on the map um, okay. for both for both sides, rather than the somewhat uh, abstracted detection system that is there for most purposes. Um, but I, I messed with it for a while and just said, too much too hard um and uh 
Also, some of the electronic warfare stuff, you could endlessly torture yourself trying to come up with cool ways to depict that. But Lee's original ideas, which make air, electronic warfare mostly just, you know, die roll modifiers under different circumstances without actually doing the, you know, the beeps and squeaks. I also had to dial myself back there because, you know, I read like five books on electronic warfare and wanted to do everything, but it was it would have been crazy. I can make a game of just electronic warfare that nobody would play. <laughs> I'm sure someone would. Someone would be like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole one, life. This is it. One guy, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I'm, yeah, completely fascinated by that. Oh, let me ask you just a dumb, simple question. Uh, what is your favorite plane in the game? Oh, uh, the F-15. Um, I just, it's just it's such a beautiful aircraft, and it was, and it even today... At the time, it was by far just the king of the air. Nothing could touch it or even come close to it. So, yeah, by, hands down, the F-15. But, but I love uh, the F-111s. You know, I remember uh, the airstrikes in Libya in 86. Um, oh, yeah. I, I named a couple flights in the game after the names of those flights, um, like as a bit of a tribute to those guys, because um, F-111s in the game are also really cool. Um, the tornado, Yeah, the Tornado is also great, the Su-24. Um, so a lot of the later 80s stuff was really the high-end stuff. Now, is the F-111 the one that does the uh, nap of the earth flying? Yes. Yeah. So its bread and butter um, was low-level nighttime uh, attack. Um, the F-111Fs were the ones designed for more uh, precision, early precision. Not. It's very different than now. Back in the late 80s, most aircraft didn't have laser-guided bombs or stuff like that. Um, F-111Fs did, but the F-111Ds and Es had uh, the mission to go low at night, hit airfields in rear areas. Yeah, again, this is one I read about in the Wingman series. Hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, there, and speaking of other references in the game, um, a couple of counters and a couple scenarios are pulled from uh, Red Storm Rising. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I immediately reread that book when I got the game. <laughs> it was so yeah. good. But then yeah. I, it's it's been so long since I've read it, I forgot that in the book, there's not, they don't do the European land war stuff that much. They most do the, the yeah. naval war and the Icelandic stuff. So, yep. but it was still good. <laughs> yeah, like one of the, uh, one of the F-111s and the F-117s in the game is named Duke after uh, the pilot, the F-117 pilot. Oh, nice. Game. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Um, Another just kind of dumb question for you is, um, what is your favorite 80s movie? Oh, um, Doesn't have to be military-based, but I would be curious to know the answer if it was just military, but, you know, well, in terms otherwise. Well, in terms of formative movies, um, and it was, I believe, 1980, was uh, Stripes. Um, <laughs> because I was, I was nine years old, and I thought, like, that's what the Army was like, and it seemed great. <laughs> that's Where, um, where's your drill sergeant? He got blown <laughs> up, sir. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's so many lines for that. I think um, mid-'80s movies, uh, some of the Cold War ones, like Rocky IV, even though it's not the greatest Rocky movie or that great a movie, it was just it, – it, it had an effect on me, um, aside from the whole – and that, you know, now you're mentioning the Star Wars, the first three. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think um, there weren't the the big movies that the war movies that got me that I was addicted to. A lot of them, um, I mean, they're from the 70s, a bridge too far. I still can watch today over and over. 
um, and movies like that. Um, there were there were not a lot of good airplane. There were some good airplane movies, except you know, other than Top Gun, which I have to admit also shaped me, even though I was in the army. Um, the Iron Eagle series, I think, needs to be best forgotten. <laughs> and I guess you know, even though I, I actually like that one, but yeah, as, I, I as much as I, I liked Happy, was, I, I don't know that I would say it was good, but I liked Firefox a lot. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. how could I forget that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I remember it had the uh, the missiles that fired backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But he, and he had to command them in Russian. Yes. yes you must. Yes. You must <laughs> think in Russian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are there any uh, board games that you're looking forward to that are aren't quite out yet? Oh, a uh, ton of good ones coming out. I think. I hope. Um, the uh, reprinted Third World War series Compass is doing. Um, I was addicted to that series, um, you know, in college and after, um, NATO, they're reprinting, um, tons of new squad leader awesomeness coming out. Um, there's, a. I keep waiting for the arrival of the world at war 85 giant box I'm supposed to get from the Kickstarter, um, which has like, you know, 40 maps and like a bazillion counters. It's, I can't even imagine how much is in that box. Um, so there's tons of it's almost like there's been a bit of a renaissance in third world war, uh, gaming, uh, which has been awesome to see. And I was, I guess I was a little bit of a part of it with this, but there's a lot of interest out there. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's nostalgia back to, I mean, there's a lot of people our age that are into war games now and they're all thinking back to when they were kids in the eighties. And yeah, I mean, this game, yeah, I mean, this game, well, that conversation I mentioned going to the squadler term, my buddy's like, you know, he said, you just have to design something. So I can fly F one elevens, you know, at night into East Germany to hit hit bridges and airfields. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Absolutely. Challenge yeah. accepted. Um, well, yeah, I had no idea. By the way, I had no idea what I was getting into in terms of how much work it is to design a game. Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, the amount of uh, effort that goes into it, the team, the playtesting. Um, also, I was, you know, uh, I was susceptible since I didn't know what I was doing to suggestions and taking them on un- unwittingly. Like when um, Gene uh, asked me, hey, can you add a solo mechan- you know, a solo <laughs> rules to this game? And I thought, yeah, sure, I can do that. Um, <laughs> that, that, that. That turned into a ginormous game within a game itself, but one that I think is pretty popular these days. People kind of expect a solo system on a lot of games. Because, you know, uh, have, going out side is is hard sometimes for, for some people it's like there are people out there i don't want to go out there yeah that's right now there's a vassal component for it correct there is and actually we did the vast majority i designed the vassal module myself which was its own fun thing learning how to do a vassal module um with help from john rainey um yeah we did a lot of the development and most of the testing in vassal um, so that's another thing. I don't. It's been designing games without being able to do that it's so hard. Um, uh, we did. I produced myself a physical copy of the game fairly early, and updated it so I could always try out things. You can't lose touch with the the maps and the counters. Uh, something that looks cool in Vassal or seems easy in Vassal can be impossible face to face. But yeah, Vassal made it easy. One thing I'm not is a an artist. Um, guys like uh, Lee Brimacom Wood who's a genuine artist um, his games look beautiful downtown was a beautiful art project in addition to a great game um, so I uh, if you could have seen some of the early uh, 
functional prototype counters I was using. Um, I'm sure when, uh, when, um, you know, the GMT team came along, Mark Simonich and I sent him my drafts. I remember his first email going, okay, this is going to be a build from scratch. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Simonich, of course, has been doing it forever. Yeah. Let me tell you, it's intimidating working with him (laughs) on counters and maps because he would ask my opinion. He would would ask my opinion and I'd be like, uh, sure. Um, (laughs) And uh, working with uh, Charlie uh, Keebler on all the the paper components. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the guy who did the the red barricades map. Yeah. I mean, that's who I'm working with. It just blew me away. And they're both super nice and were very understanding of me, not quite totally understanding the process. Uh, but yeah, those guys are great, um, and they made the game look so good. I think. Um, which I still love the aesthetic aspect of a game, even if you know, even if, even though I suppose you could say it doesn't matter. It matter. It's still, I want to I want it to look good on the table. You know, in, in that vein, mentioning uh, designers, is there a particular one you would love to work with in the future? Uh, I don't know. I have to think about that one. Um, they're all all the experienced ones are kind of intimidating. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, GMT has a stable of a lot of like really experienced ones. Um. You know, from your Mark Hermans to uh, to uh, um, Simonich, um, I think they also just I think didn't they just pick up the news a new series with uh, Frank Chadwick, um, publishing some games he's been working on. Frank Chadwick, I believe, is one of the guys who did Assault, one of my favorite ground board games ever, uh, back in the uh, in the uh, late '80s. It was a platoon level World War Three game. Well, maybe um, you and I. Maybe you and Seminich could work on a an updated one in his series and called it call it Fold to eighty seven or something like that. Yeah, I would. Um, he's got all he's got all those great World War Two games. I love that series the, the, with the Zokbonds. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a really sweet spot he hits between too much chrome and too little, and um, and actually pretty realistic. You get pretty realistic looking fronts. You don't get you don't get crazy stuff. Um, the Holland game was, was my favorite, uh, you know, market garden game. Yeah. I love that game. Well, is there anything else we need to know about Red Storm? Well, I would mention, um, one thing, um, that Red Storm I tried to do, um, since I was an army guy, um, I actually tried to add a lot to the ground side. Um, you know, it is an airplane game, but, um, one thing I did try to do a lot of research on the air defense networks, uh, the air defense systems, the SAMs, there are, you know, everything else, where the units would be, how a unit, you know, how forces would be laid out. Um, so even though it's an airplane game, I think a big difference between this and like elusive victory or, um, downtown is the number of ground units, uh, that are there both that you're shooting at and that are shooting back at you. Um, because it's hard to imagine how dense a collection of ground stuff you would have had here. Um, the other thing that was hard to model is, um, the effects of weather in Germany. Um, I uh, trying to, you know, you can find a lot of data, but trying to model the real weather, there's no substitute for just interviewing guys. And I was able to, through various networks of friends, talk to five or six guys who flew F-16s or F-15s, you know, in the 80s, in the area of the map the game covers. Wow. Um, and those guys, yeah, very cool. And they, they had a big hand in dialing back. Like, yeah, okay, we. They're like, yeah, I know that was the max speed, but here's how we actually flew. 
here's the realistic altitudes we flew because, you know, there's mountains and there's fog. Um, it's not like the movies where everybody's flying around at 100 feet. Um, and uh, the, I must say that I found one guy in Poland who was super helpful with some of the Soviet order of battle, but that's still kind of a black hole. Um, it is detailed information on how the Soviet Air Force uh, would have operated. But I was able to piece together enough um, to, uh, I think, put a pretty realistic look on the table, even if it's not, pro- it's probably not perfect. Um, but so, yeah, if you guys stumble past or stumble into a Soviet MiG-23 pilot, give him my email. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I had no idea that, like, this level of research goes into, I mean, I, I guess I should have known, but I did not know. Just the fact that you're actually interviewing pilots that flew in the area with the planes that you're doing, that is amazing. An ama- absolutely amazing level of detail. Wow. Yeah, that's the, the difference between a, a game with a, that's just based on statistics and one like, like Lee did with Downtown, where he tried to make it more realistic than just kind of a rivet counting exercise. Um, and uh, the other, I must say, look, the other fun part was coming up with names for all those flight counters. Have you seen how many there are? Everyone has to have a name. Um, right. Yeah, and there's basically three counters for every flight, right? Because they have to go from the, I forget the terms for them, but when they first come on the map and then they partially get identified and then visually identified. and. Yeah, the, the generics are the ones with the numbers and the letters, and then the yeah. real flights are the ones with the names. But um, uh, let me tell you, I can assure you there are only so many Soviet aces names I could use. Uh, a lot of them don't fit on the counters Um, I used uh, Soviet uh, aviation people astronauts um, all sorts of stuff for the Soviet side Um, because in the series they had always used pilot names famous pilots for uh, the Vietnamese pilots and then the Egyptians so I I continued with that the Americans are fun you can kind of name them anything Um, you know taco whatever Uh, they're there's another Red Storm Rising reference in there. One of the F-15s is named Buns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the woman F-15 pilot in Red Storm Rising. Right, the first um, female space ace. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, right, to use the ace ad. Um, yeah. And then um, the British were just names of, like, soccer terms or rugby terms. Um, anyway, it was a lot of fun. I, I will tell you, I got toward the end when I was putting draft counter sheets online, there are people that get very worked up about what you name airplane counters. Um, <laughs> I got uh, not not uh, wasn't hostile. It was just very excited and interested um, guidance from guys who were like uh, they're British guys, but they are very into the Dutch Air Force, um, <laughs> and they barraged me until I finally changed two of the airplane names um, to to like names that they said were appropriate for a couple famous. Dutch fighter squadrons. Um, I'm going through the same thing now, trying to figure out the names for the Swedish and Danish uh, Air Force planes. Wow. Yeah, I, I kind of want to offer a service now where, like, you just email me and tell me, like, okay, I need this many Russian names and whatever. And, yeah, I would respond sure. back with, I would do, like, you know, just, I would name them after, like, vodka or something, you know. Go to yeah, the, the I, different stores and, yeah. Yeah, I kind of wish I had gotten a little more creative. I got if you look at the East German, if you look at the East German counters, I did like if you look at the East German helicopters, they're named after like uh, funny East German food products, uh, <laughs> or like the Trabant that was their car. Um, 
so I got a little more creative there. The the Soviets, though, coming up with actual names was kind of cool. I did learn about all sorts of, like, they had pilots and they had guys who flew in Korea and Vietnam, um, according to the Internet. So I used some of those names, too. Wow. That, I mean, that's amazing. I, I, I'm just completely blown away by the level of research. I don't think, we've interviewed, like, quite a few people that of, of design games and whatnot mm. and no one's ever said that i mean i'm sure they did but just no one's ever talked about the level of research i i guess i should have known but i i'm just completely blown away by the yeah, thoroughness was, of the research especially almost, considering that this isn't actually a historic war i mean you know you don't have the actual yeah, to extrapolate a lot. It, thankfully it never happened <laughs> yeah of course um I love the research part of it. It's almost like enough reason to do a game. I just want to learn about the era and the stuff. I, you know, I, I'm not a, uh, it's just, I'm just an amateur historian, like a lot of gamers, but uh, I love learning about these eras. So the research for this game, um, it was like four years of work, but it was very cool. Is there anything else we need to ask, Richard? No, I think I'm good. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure, guys. Pleasure. Yeah, this if you're ever in St. Louis, come play with us. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch is there too. He's in the area, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a yeah, there's a there's a Boeing. There's still a Boeing factory there. They make F-18s now. Yep, absolutely. I, I love watching. I, I love the sound of their engines. I I mm-hmm. I used to live right by the airport, so I'd see them all the time. Now I don't see them as much as I used to, but I love that sound. I love seeing them. I love. I lived near a B-52 base in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Which was kind of scary but kind of cool well red storm the air war over central germany 1987 is currently available from gmt games you can get it directly from gmt or at your local gaming store if they carry it or various online places and uh doug bush everyone thank you so much for finally uh coming on and talking to us i know we we were like two ships passing in the night for a while you know trying to talk around the holidays and everything and yeah no it's a pleasure guys uh thank you for um for um for doing it and being patient with the timing work was a little crazy for a while but um i actually get to play some games now so i'm looking forward to it awesome well thank you very much sir all right guys take care good night Night. bye all right so yes awesome interview and uh yeah hope you liked it sorry i sounded dumb uh, one thing I did want to <laughs> toss in the uh, the show notes, I found this like after we did the interview, like looking up just different stuff. This is a website called Plane Tags, and like if you're a serious aviation aficionado, I say that three times fast, you can get mm-hmm. these things, which are basically pieces of like vintage aircraft. Um, which I thought was really neat. Everything from like the uh, P-40 Warhawk, you know, to the B-25 and B-52, all this different stuff. You can actually get pieces of the um, the SR-71, which I thought was really neat because they cost a lot more money. Most of the tags are just under 100 bucks. The SR-71... It's a $350 keychain. Yeah. That's basically it. I don't even know if... I mean, I'm not paying $350 and putting it on my keys to get all scratched up. Um, in fact, I don't know exactly what you would do with this. Like, I I don't know. But, yeah. yeah. Just hang it up somewhere yeah. or whatever. But, I have actually touched an SR-71. There, So, uh, up here in Michigan, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, there's a place called the Air Zoo. 
and they have a bunch of uh, airplanes, and they have they have an SR-71. It's a two-seater. It's a trainer, but there's it's mostly roped off. But if you you can you can stand under the nose and reach up and touch it, and in about about seven feet over your head is the nose of an SR-71. So, and do you guys remember Cali- when the when the Berlin Wall came down and they were selling pieces of the wall? I have, yeah, I have some. Yeah. Have, oh, yeah? yeah. My parents got had, got them, and so you know I inherited them. You can see like pictures of people, and I even think they brought them in um, to Pawn Stars, and they're like, no, these things really aren't worth hardly anything. <laughs> Well, and not only that, my, my mom raised me to be a skeptic, and I absolutely am one. But I remember at the time, she's like, how do I know that didn't just come from a pile of rocks somewhere? <laughs> the, the provenance yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. It can't, yeah, it can't come from a pile of rocks, uh, Richard, because I, I have this, you know, certificate of authenticity. You've got a certificate yeah. of authenticity. <laughs> so. They're communist rocks. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, I've seen pictures of people have, you know, some of them will like have paint and stuff on them. Mine are just rocks. That's it. <laughs> just straight up rocks. Just so, a rebar in it yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of rebar. Uh, moving on to news. And the first thing we have is the official Alien RPG is now available. And uh, they've been playing this at my local shop using. Um, the quick start or the beta rules, whatever was out. I know it was designed by uh, the same people that did uh, Tales from the Loop. And so, mm-hmm. uh, Mofetus, Mo- how do you say that? Is it Mod- Modifius? Modifius, I think that's it, is, <laughs> is who it is. Something mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, they're the ones that publish it, you know, the same ones that do uh, the Star Trek and, and whatnot. I really like all the different stuff you can get with it, like the maps and the custom card decks and all look really cool. I want to say Drive-Thru RPG has the um, PDF for this at $30. <coughs> um, I'm looking at, you can get direct from the company, I think it's like a $50 book. I, I don't know. I, this kind of thing I'd much rather do i think miniatures based uh that's like that nemesis board game that's really neat it was basically aliens but they didn't get the 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 uh ip rights i don't know but yeah there's there's a few different games and many of them with miniatures that have sort of that idea of the haunted spaceship whether it's monsters or ghosts or whatever but i mean it's it's a good idea i'm actually surprised that that this is just now a thing aliens are pretty big ip and i guess i'm i've never looked for this in an rpg but i'm surprised that it wasn't already out there i mean it is weird it it's kind of a like a one-shot thing though it's like it's like okay let's let's all sit down and let's play the aliens rpg so you know what's going on whatever the setting is you know there's going to be a xenomorph somewhere Right, and four hours later, everyone's going to be dead. Yeah. It seems to me, isn't there some some connective tissue between Alien and Aliens with uh, Blade Runner? Uh, I don't know. I don't think officially. I mean, there could have been like an Easter egg or something in the background, but I I don't think officially. Yeah, I've never heard that before. I know they did cross over, you know, the the Predator universe, um, 
you know, first it was like little nods. I think in the first or second Predator movie uh, that he had an alien skull. And uh, then... Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Then later on they did those, um, the shitty movies. I think they made like three of those. And, uh, and you know, that's another thing that's constantly getting uh, rebooted. I think what was the uh, the last one was this year or, la- or late last year called The Predator. And essentially it's the same thing. It's a bunch of human guys that, you know, could be mercenaries, criminals, whatever. And then, oh, there's a Predator. And, yeah. So, yeah, that's my whole summary of the Predator, you know, folks that are listening <laughs> is, oh, there's a Predator. That's it. A bunch of human guys. Oh, a bunch of human guys. And, oh, shit, it's a Predator. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> So, okay, I wonder if in the Aliens RPG would have it. I mean, I guess, you know, you're free to do whatever as the Game Master. You could just throw it in there. Like, look out, Predator! Oh, shit, I wasn't expecting that. I thought I was looking for a Xenomorph. I don't know. This late in the podcast, it's hard to be funny, fellas. I'm sorry. (laughs) My voice starts to go. So the next thing we had... um, Normally, I don't really pay attention to these little news snippets that I get from um, uh, Flames of War. And so it was like, hey, here's a the 21st Panzer Spotlight. It's, uh, you. these are a new group of Germans you can field for late war and Flames of War. So I started reading about them, and I was like, oh, wait, these sound really freaking cool because they're, uh, they come from Africa Corps, and then they use, like, this whole mismatch of equipment like uh half their stuff is french is is mounted on french tanks and you know uh, they have some captured uh russian guns uh artillery pieces that they use and so all that to say it's it's enough of a, a mismatch that actually makes me interested in playing it as to just do something different Cause I really don't give a shit about late war much, but this, since it's starting to pick up at my local store, yeah, I might build these guys. Although I think I just um, ended up uh, buying a whole bunch of Russians off a uh, guy. Do you guys ever get like that weird phone call, like when your friend calls and you're like, "Oh, it's okay. Let me <laughs> let me answer it." It's my friend. It's like, "Hey, I'm over at so and so's house. He's got all these uh, Russians he wants to, you know, for sale." And you know, it's this, this, and this, and with when you do that, you so, could, you could feel this, and I'm like, well, yeah. I was uh, I was getting set up to play an MBT game, and we're playing uh, a play by email game where we're uh, sort of a blind game with a referee, and I was emailing my teammates, and we're playing the Russians, and I, I sent this email out to them, basically just saying, okay, tomorrow we plot the downfall of the West and all this stuff, and and I sent the email, and I thought. Oh, man, I'm probably on a list now. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It's like they'll check, and then they'll, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. He's, just, he's just talking about this, this, this stupid game. That's all it is. Yeah, so that. on this game, this this uh, Flames of War, you were talking about bolt action earlier, and you were saying how the, the tanks were all just kind of generic. It looks like this one, especially this, they're, they're very specific. Is that more the case in Flames of War? Well, uh... I played Flames of War, like, from the beginning, and um, the current version is a lot easier. There was a lot more rivet counting, for lack lack of a better word, in the first edition than it is now. 
it to me it, it you know it seems like they they're not you know they don't kill themselves to give like each individual tank a different stat line you know it, it just seems like they kind of lump them together like it's like oh, okay this is more this or that or it, it just seems more easier and generic to me but i don't know okay so the next thing we had was a round of Star Wars Legion news, and with the first thing is the vital assets thing, and I thought this was really neat because you can—it's got some people that you can capture. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I get from it. Is you get like was it like Newt Gunray, that dumb guy from um, the Trade Federation? From uh, please no one. escort missions, no escort missions. I just hate them so much. Yeah, I, I, I hate those in video games. But, uh, yeah, since there's a hostage exchange, that's one of the new things where you uh, secure a VIP and transport them back to your deployment zone. I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, especially, like, in a um, tournament-like style play. It's kind of neat. I mean, the terrain pieces are, are nice, too, but, I mean... Looks like it's a bunch of bombs and stuff that you transport. But, yeah, uh, yeah. And see, that's... one thing about all the different battlefield conditions and victory conditions is it really does help um, if you if you have a, a lower bid army and you can you know a lower point army and you can have a higher bid, then you get to use your cards. And if you bring in a card, especially, I, I don't know how different this is going to be, but it could be that you've got an army that's just kind of set up for this hostage mission thing, or, you know, you've got specific battlefield deployments or, uh, or, or victory conditions that your army is set up for. And if you get the build, you get the bid and you bring your cards, it can be a big advantage to you. Well, uh, I, I will say the, um, the whole card thing really threw me for a loop in learning this game that yeah. it, it was like, okay, where we how we choose you know what we're playing and you know how we're deploying and all that different stuff that was really really neat i was like okay this is a lot deeper than i thought and i also say the little upgrade cards which are annoyingly um x uh, x-wing 1.0 sized uh hmm. you I know I've ended up in a situation where I've split a box and I don't have enough of certain cards and uh, they've recently released just like an upgrade card set where you can like get all these things that you you know you may or may you, you may have been needing like um, you could buy a unit and it didn't have like a card for like thermal grenades or whatever but you would get that right. if you bought a unit of stormtroopers yeah but now you can finally get it all together so i appreciate yeah. that yeah and uh, yeah i bought that card pack i bought that a few weeks ago and it was only like uh, 10 15 bucks or something for a bunch of those type of cards um grenades especially which as a rebel player i didn't have a lot of yeah i, I need to i need to get that um so uh, the next thing was um the covert ops release this is where you can get cassian andor and um alan tudyk's character from rogue one uh k250 or whatever or is it k2 k2so okay yeah and i really think this is cool because i'm a big fan of rogue one that's been you know i know i got out of star wars but that um 
that uh, movie made my Grinch heart grow three sizes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really nice, and I dig it. And in fact, I want to field uh, want my rebels to be led by Jen Erso instead of Luke. Yeah, Jen is not great in the game. Um, you know, she she was a uh, she's a great character in the movie, and I like painting the many, but she's not great in the game. So. Well, maybe uh, Cassin and Alan Tudyk would be better. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and also the other, who are these other guys that are on here? Iden. She's from uh, the Battlefront game. She was a, a character. She was. I remember in the trailers. I never played the game, but I remember in the trailers for the game. She was basically Imperial Special Forces. She was on Endor when the Death Star blew up, and she kind of made it her and her team's mission to to avenge the death of the emperor. Hmm. Okay. Cause she was down there not doing her job. She was in the can and that's, that's why the death star blew up. <laughs> she was supposed to guard her. She was supposed to guard that door that Han Solo had. And she went to the bathroom and she came back and death star blew up. Yeah. It's her fault. I understand. <laughs> that made me feel bad too. Uh, speaking of star Wars, you, you guys watching that Mandalorian thing? I am, and I am all cut up. We won't give spoilers because not oh. everyone will be. But actually, it's interesting because that same character that we just talked about that's going to be a new commander, uh, there was an episode of The Mandalorian, and I thought for a little bit that that was actually her, and it turned out to be someone else. But very similar character in Ex-Imperial. Are you talking about the the character that's played by Ming Nao from... Uh... No, no, not her. The one... Okay. The one that he sort of befriended with, befriended, and oh, the, the backwater okay. planet. Yeah. Yep. I thought that was her at first, but okay. I don't think it was. That was kind of a Seven Samurai sort of situation there. Yeah. Um, so I am, uh, I think I'm an episode behind you. I haven't watched the latest episode yet. Okay. But, you know, um, Baby Yoda is everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there's no point in even trying to hide that spoiler because. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I believe that there's uh, plenty of 3D print files around there. Um, so if you, listener, want to have your very own Baby Yoda, <laughs> I bet you could hit up Mike Sheridan at alterdementia.com and he could print one up for you. With, that, with the discount code COG. COG that's the one. Yeah, I had to think about yep. it for a minute. I'm like, wait, is is it C? Okay, that's it. <laughs> so, um, as far as the Mandalorian goes, so he wears the Beskar steel, which all the lore about it says that it will, um, the uh, it won't. If somebody attacks it with a lightsaber, it'll go through it, but only just. And there's been various times where he's been shot with sniper rounds and uh, point-blank shots with blasters, and the the uh, shot hasn't gone through. Yeah, it it takes quite a beating. He he absorbs a lot of shots in the in the TV show. But the um, I don't know. It's it seems like there's a lot of places where he could get shot where he'd it'd just be done because there's not enough steel that covers him. But. Anyway, yes, I am enjoying the show too, um, and I quite enjoyed the, the was it IG Eleven, the the assassin droid in the first yes. episode. Yeah, it wasn't eighty eight, which is the one we're all probably familiar with from before, but IG Eleven who looks exactly like IG eighty eight. Yeah, <laughs> but oh, yeah. yeah, he was great. 
the robot that really wanted to kill himself. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Is it time to self-destruct? No, don't do that. Activating self-destruct. No, don't activate self-destruct. Yeah. Uh, you know, Roy, you mentioned his problems with armor. I would honestly say if you look at his armor, I think he has the um, the female role-playing armor problem <laughs> yeah because yep. you know he, he i mean he doesn't have a bare midriff but i don't think his armor goes down that far you know and, and mm-hmm. stuff and okay. and strangely every shot that he gets shot with hits him in the armor luckily yes yes he's just uh-huh. so so very very lucky uh but yeah all right now now i really want to find some fan art of uh boba or uh the mandalorian in a in a best gar bikini Rule 34 of the internet. I'm yeah. sure it's out there. Yes, absolutely. So, so tweet tweet that to Adam at Chance of Gaming. <laughs> well, it's, it's just Chance of Gaming, all one word at Gmail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can just do at Chance of Gaming on Twitter. Yeah. We, we want best, best car bikinis is, is what we so, want. So one of the things about the Mandalorian is that he never, ever, ever takes off his helmet in the presence of somebody else. Right. So... Is this ever going to happen? Is this going to be a season ender kind of thing? Yeah, I think at the end of the first season, we'll get to see his face. Okay. Which is interesting because I've seen Game of Thrones, so I know (laughs) the actor pretty well. Um, But it's such a different character that I don't even associate the two knowing who they are. So Pedro Pascal. What's that? Pedro Pascal is... Right. Yes. And who is that in uh, Game of Thrones? He played Oberyn Martell, who was the one that that fought the duel with the mountain and had him killed, but then got cocky and got his eyeballs gouged out. Okay, that's that's beyond my Game of Thrones. (laughs) But that's beyond me. But my my family, obviously, they never saw Game of Thrones, so they're like specifically not looking up his name or anything. They don't even want to know what he looks like, because when they do that reveal, it's going to be a big deal on the show and they want it to be. Cool so, uh, he's been cast in the new um, Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman oh, really? 1984. Yeah, as the okay. as the villain in that. Okay, and, and that's the first time I'd ever seen seen him before. And to me, I thought, is that Nathan Fillion? Because it's <laughs> sure I thought for sure it was, <laughs> but I guess not. So there's uh, I also heard that there's only going to be like eight chapters in this first season. Correct. So yeah, this so. is episode five. So we're just about I done think it was with six. that. I think it was, was six it? that okay. came out and seven comes out this Wednesday. It's actually coming okay. out early this week. And then so the week after that, before the end of the year, it'll be over. OK, well, not over, but the season will be over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it came out Friday, but the Expanse season four had dropped early Thursday night. So i had to catch up on the expanse before I and finish it before I watched wow. that episode of The Mandalorian. So I was astonished at all of the cameos that are in the first episode. Even from the first well not the first scene, the second scene with the um when they he collects the bounty and they go out to his ship, the Razor Crest. Uh-huh. The uh the, the ferryman driver is uh Brian Posehn. Right, from, Brian Posehn was on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, who Werner Herzog and Taika Waititi and yeah. and, uh, and Nick Nolte the, uh, and the the heavy Mandalorian, the one that sort of fights with him and then 
Yeah. Um, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but gotcha. I think yep. that is voiced by John Favreau. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Nick and Nolte. Just in the last episode, you haven't seen yet. Oh yeah, Nick Nolte, right? He played the uh, the guy. The uh, I'm not. I have yeah, spoken. The, I have spoken guy. Yeah. Um, and just in the last episode, I had to look him up because I thought that there was a character, a new character. I thought it was Patrick Rothfuss, but it wasn't. It just kind of looks like him. What, okay. The, the author Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was him at first, but it wasn't. Oh, and <laughs> uh, Bill Burr plays has an has a uh, has a role. He kind of oh, plays yeah. the same character that he played in. Uh, uh, Breaking damn, Bad. What's uh, Breaking Bad? Yes. Yeah. Kind of okay. an enforcer kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even yeah. It, oh, was he the it, was he the Deveronian in the last episode? He was the bounty hunter. He was the the mercenary that went with the Mandalorian. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even Ming-Na Wen, you know, she's yeah, she's a good actress, and she was in it for one episode. So I was I was pleased to see her in there too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Look, after that last episode of the Mandalorian, I was like, okay, so since this is now Star Wars canon, where is the location of Space Boston? Space Boston. Yeah, with uh, with Bill Burr. Yeah, with with his accent. I'm like, okay, yep. so where where's Space Boston? Is it in Space, Massachusetts? You know, where is that? What section? Space Massachusetts. Space, that yeah. was uh, the character was it was Mayfeld. Is that the name? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so yeah, he's he's and, uh, he's a townie. And yeah, look, I'm I'm a long time long time fan of of his back when he was a really small comedian before he blew up you know like he is mm-hmm. now I, yep. I will say one of his uh other projects that he's doing is f is for family on netflix oh yeah it's absolutely fantastic and it's a lot of it is you know a lot of his comedy and stuff is like based on like his dad and like how harsh and tough as dad it was and stuff like that so you see see a lot of that stuff in there and it, it's great you know because like in the latest netflix special he talks about you know his wife is like what's wrong with you you know and it's like do you really do you really want to know <laughs> it's like i take all this stuff and i shove it down and that's where it is yeah so i just wanted to see him do a little bit of that in the mandalorian is like mandalorian what's wrong with me anyway so yeah f is for F is for family. It's animated. It's it's absolutely great. Yeah, mm-hmm. with his whole the, the um what is it his catchphrase in it? Uh, Frank whatever is the patriarch of the family is you know he he has he's struggling with his kid. It, it all takes place in like in the seventies. You know mm-hmm. his, his kid is in a shitty rock band. He's trying to get laid and all this stuff. And he's like you know okay Kevin, you're gonna watch your sister while you know while your mom and I are going out. And if you, let me just tell you, if anything happens to her, right through that fucking wall there. So, yeah. <laughs> I just love that. That's yeah. Anyway, so, moving on. I do hope to see a lot. I do hope he comes to Legion. Wouldn't that be great to have Bill Burr, a 28-millimeter oh, Bill yeah. Burr? I would have a lot of fun with that. A lot of fun with that. So. Uh-huh. So, the next thing we had, I had to toss this on here since we talk about this all the time, is uh, Albedo Miniatures. Has got some uh, new stuff. Uh, you know, this is that weird anthropomorphic um, sci-fi game that we occasionally mm-hmm. talk about, and get you get a yeah. um, uh, a Twitter avatar from. 
Yep. From every time you do, I get a new two of our avatar, and I'm looking at this badger with the grenade launcher. It's gonna happen. No, well, the the badger with the machine gun down there. Oh, it is yeah. a grenade launcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was like, what caught my eye for this was <laughs> was the uh, you know you've got this little Captain Tasha or whatever Captain character. Tasta. And I was like, that's pretty neat. And then I scroll down on, no, wait, there's an anthropomorphic badger with a grenade launcher. So, yes, dadgum. Really so you cool. like the sexy Bugs Bunny. But yeah, the, the so, badger yeah, with the Bugs Bunny, launcher, but, you know, <laughs> that, that got me in, in the, in the uh, building. But, yeah, what sold me was the badger with the uh, grenade launcher. So, yeah, this is really... Yep. I should do more with it. I should try to get at least get the rules or something. I say I say this every time we do this. Every time we talk about it, like, oh yeah, I should probably buy this because this looks exactly like you know something I would buy. But anyway, uh, which reminds me, um, trying to see. So, so this is when you're into furries and war games. Yes, it's, it's, it's <laughs> okay. a furry wargaming crossover. That's what it is. Yeah, because remember they did a Kickstarter earlier uh, in October, I think, and yeah, it was for a 28 millimeter skirmish game, and uh, I was like, eh, I would have backed it, but it was a it was a British um, thing, so my freedom dollars don't go very far. Although <laughs> you know, Boris Johnson got I don't know reelected or whatever it is they do over there, and uh, yeah. Pretty sure. Whatever they do over there. I don't know. How does that? How does that work? Does you know? Does like the queen like poke him with a sword or something? I don't know. Does he get a sword? Does he get the sword out of a pond? Yeah, from a tart out of a lake. Yes, a tart in a lake, and then that's how he became (laughs) prime minister. I don't know. I'm an American. I don't know. I don't know what you guys do over there. It's weird. You have a queen, but she doesn't really rule anything. I do enjoy the crown, though. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. Um, what I was gonna say, I could stop right here, and we could talk about Black Friday stuff. Or did we push that somewhere else in here? Because I did. Instead of buying Albedo miniatures, um, I have bought other things, and uh, just wanted to see if you guys bought anything uh, from Black Friday. Only thing I bought was a TV. I didn't want to go out to the stores or anything, so I just got it on Amazon and showed up a few days later. I have no desire to go out on Black Friday. So my local game store, this is had a had a Black Friday special where you bought a mystery package. So so it's a wrapped. <laughs> I um, saw that at uh, uh, I think it was at, at game night. I saw the same thing. Yeah. Okay. This is it's, like a it's, thing, my because my store does that too. So for no, 60... it was at Valhalla Games in Columbia. That's where it was. Sorry. Ah. So for sixty-five odd bucks, we bought a <laughs> it's a gift wrapped box that has like three games in it, and I don't. We have no idea what's in it. It just kind of gave uh, kind of a general like this is how long it, it this is what it is the rated for on Board Game Geek. This is how long it takes to play it. This is the complexity, and here you go. So we bought this gift, and it's underneath our Christmas tree. We have no idea what's inside of it. <laughs> Which I think is awesome. Well, it's awesome until on Christmas you get a, yeah. a My Little my little Pony Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look. So uh, news to come on what's actually inside of that box. 
my store does it much worse than that. <laughs> uh, essentially, they take a game, they wrap it, and then they stick a price tag on it. There you go. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what's in there. I mean, I, I love the fact that you guys at least get like board game geek ratings. And do, do they tell you like what kind of game it is or anything? Um, not, I'm not sure. I can hear, I'll go check. I'll go look at the box. So you guys vamp for a little bit. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I'm glad we play to an older crowd. Cause they'll get that joke. Um, yeah. So they just, I mean, straight up, they're just like, well, you know, it started with, they're like, okay, here they did this social media post and they were like, here's all the games right here. They're going, we've got them all piled up on this table they're all at least 40 percent off and we're going to start wrapping them and you can come in and buy them straight up right now or they're going to get wrapped and then too bad you missed it you're going to have to guess you know where it is yeah it just really feels like that's an excuse to get someone to buy their clearance games because they're not going to do that with the stuff that's flying off the shelves anyway so what I have going on here is uh, <laughs> I paid $65 for this. It says games to play in 30 to 60 minutes. Three games. Retail price $130. Um, Board Game Geek averages 7 out of 10 rating and two, 2.16 out of 5 weight. Okay. And I have, again, I have no idea what's in there. And somebody else uh, bought one and opened it up and it had the game Village. And, um, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget the other names. There's a, a newer game that came out um, that was in there, too. So, again, I have no idea what's in it, but, you know, come Christmas morning, or crack it open and see what's in there. It's going to be Frosthaven. <laughs> well, it's, not, I mean, it's, it's not even out yet. Let's put it out there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. It's It's probably... It's kind of the standard Dominion size box, but stacked up in. So if you imagine three of those Dominion boxes stacked up, that's kind of the size of this box. It's pretty good size. So, mm. Yeah, like and, I, and like, very nicely gift wrapped too. What I was telling him uh, was the way my store did it. It was just they started. The weird thing is, is like uh, this store. It's one of the few I've ever been into that doesn't have, like, a discount section or whatever. And, you know, there's nothing really priced, per se. You know, it's, it, you know, you, you assume, like, it's MSRP, and then, you know, if it's a board game, maybe it's 20% of that. Or other than that, they're kind of tied in with, like, uh, Flames of War stuff. They can only do 10%. So, you know that, like that. So, what they did was they suddenly gathered everything up and did a social media post of like all this stuff is at least 40% off so you can come get it now but it's got we're wrapping it slowly as, mm-hmm. as we go and then um yeah once once it's wrapped you're just shit out of luck you can try to guess what it is they wrap it and they price it so um yeah, that's that's basically how they did it. So I I got actually got in there and got to get uh, the new Games Workshop um, 
their version of X-Wing, Aeronautical Imperialis, which wasn't selling. and Mainly because it was like a $90 game. So nobody was going to buy it, I guess, at that price. And so the store put it at 40% off. And I was like, okay, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take that. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that's, that's what we did. I think the only thing I bought for... Black Friday was, uh, and I hemmed and hawed over a lot of stuff. There was a lot of Warlord games was doing stuff, and then uh, NWS was matching it and actually doing better. They'd match the discount, but it would be a discount off NWS prices, and I was like, how in the world can this guy afford to sell this cheap, that cheap? Whatever. Anyway, um, I ended up buying some Hammers Slammers 6mm miniatures. And uh, two opposing armies for it. I've owned the rule book forever, for absolute ever. And then I've just kind of hemmed and hawed over whether I want to do it in fifteen or six millimeter. And I, I got it six mil. Six mil. Are you guys familiar with the um, the books Hammer Slammers? No. I'm not. It's it's kind of a classic um, military sci-fi. Uh, the guy that wrote it. Um, what the heck was his name? Uh... Anyway, the guy that wrote it has a name. And uh, he was a Vietnam vet, and he came back and started writing these sci-fi novels. And basically, they're all about... The, the Hammer Slammers is like a mercenary group, and their big thing is like they're, they have hover tanks. So, anyway. So that's just kind of the thing. I just I've always dug that whole... Um, background and setting and whatnot. So I finally bought into that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Anyway, so is there any more Black Friday stuff? Just TV and mystery packages. Well, that's well, that's where I picked up Wingspan. And oh, yeah. I think yeah, there's probably some other stuff I got too, but I don't <laughs> recall what it was. Remember, remember when Wingspan was really hard to find and people were ang- yeah. angrily writing editorials and stuff about it. <laughs> That was a big, bad thing, yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we had, I thought this was neat and a little crazy. Uh, Starfinder is coming to uh, Alexa. So, in fact, it comes tomorrow. As uh, we record this podcast on the 15th, it will be available on December 16th. It is a voice-based version of the Starfinder role-playing game. And uh, all you have to do is say, Alexa, play Starfinder. And it will beam you straight into an adapted version of Scoundrels and the Spike. A, uh, an adventure from the Starfinder Beginner Box. All right. That's really cool. I've heard yeah. about, um, I've heard, I think Ticket to Ride has its rules on Alexa. And I'm sure people are going to be doing this type of thing more and more. But this is pretty cool. I like the idea of it, but my... Um, experience with Alexa I don't know I, I, I don't know if I could do this because uh, with me it's like you know hey you know Alexa play Hotel California and she's like okay here is the uh, the version by the Gypsy Kings and I'm like what no the Eagles <laughs> you know so I don't know I just I don't, uh, I don't know. still a good good version yeah it is it is a, <laughs> it is a good version I let it play because I was like yeah I like that um, it is really cool but Anyway, I don't know. It's just some of the stuff she doesn't get, or she's like, "No, I'm not. I can't find that, or whatever." Yeah. 
So today my my daughter said uh, she was doing homework. She said, and she's 10, she said, Alexa, define canvas. Well, <laughs> Alexa thought she said cannabis. <laughs> so that she got the whole down low of, of uh, hash and the flowers and and all sorts of stuff about that. Like, I don't think that's what you actually want. Alexa, buy cannabis. <laughs> Wait, yes. Okay, it's, it's legal in Illinois now, not Michigan. It it's it is legal in Michigan. So oh, okay. the um the it's retail recreational legal in Michigan. Yes. Yep. Yeah. In Missouri the, um, it's medicinal. Okay. The uh the the retail shops have opened uh in Ann Arbor and they're kind of opening around the state in the coming months. But Okay. Yeah, but there are, there are other places you can get it too. Mississippi will be the last, absolute last, <laughs> if ever. I, I I think we wouldn't allow it if it was allowed at the federal level. You know, that's because oh wow, what, that's what we do. You know, that's how we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, f- for God's sake, there you can't even buy beer on Sunday in places in the state. You know, there are places that you cannot sir you can't buy cold beer. You know, it's it's weird. It's it's weird. So I just read a thing about Utah. They apparently there was a law that passed in Utah. They used to have uh, state-owned uh, liquor stores where you can. That's the only place you could buy alcohol and beer. And um, they they upped the percentage from five percent or up to two five percent, I think. So the and this is going to make you cry. There was all of the. the um, the state-owned liquor stores, they just all of their overstock beer they just dumped out, like eighteen thousand dollars worth of beer they just poured out. That's really really weird. Wow. Yeah. Okay. The damn shame for sure. <laughs> I um yeah now I just think of the space Mormons in the Expanse. Um, oh <laughs> yep yeah. yep. So uh wow yeah in. In that vein, uh, in Mississippi, you like if you want to sell Roy's beer or Roy's whiskey, you have to sell it to the state of Mississippi, and then the state of Mississippi turns around and sells it to the liquor stores or you know Kroger or whatever. It's really really weird how we do it, so. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it doesn't even sound like le- it, that is legal, you know. But yeah, it's like the state has to get their beak wet. So they, I, they do a little taste. I, yeah, I think because of that alone, you wouldn't see uh, weed being legal here. Because I mean, mm. how would they get their beak wet? I mean, beyond the fact that you know, just straight up, just taxes. No, 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 no. They have to take that extra step. Of you know you have to sell it to us at cost and then we turn around and sell it so yeah hmm. I don't know and yeah that's the other thing is like man these states where weed is legal are making a ton of money in taxes a <laughs> absolute ton of money and I just I don't understand like how places like Mississippi can look at that and not be like well you know maybe we should we should get in on that eh, whatever. So, uh, politics aside, moving on, um, <laughs> uh, we've got the next thing is 
the Gingerbread Gang on Kickstarter. And this is from a little thing I've mentioned before called The War in Christmas Village. And I always thought it was neat because, like, you could do those little houses and stuff like your mom and grandma have that light up. And that would be your terrain to play this mm-hmm. game in. And, uh, yeah, they're trying to kickstart a little mm-hmm. gang of guys, uh, the Gingerbread Gang, who appear... One of them has been eaten a little bit, and the rest of them look like really tough nerdy wells. And uh, yeah, they want <laughs> ten five ten thousand five hundred dollars as of this podcast. They have raised seven thousand six hundred, and they have eleven days to go. So it'll be linked in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. And uh, I guess the last thing we have is Polygon.com did their best board games of the decade. So they, yeah, they interviewed uh, four different designers or people in the industry. It's the most, yes, and it's the most influential board games of the decade according to top designers. And who did they interview? Well, so they interviewed Elizabeth Hargrave and Rob Daviau. So uh, Rob Daviau, that's... um, the various legacy games, um, Pandemic, that sort of thing. Elizabeth Hargrave is the designer of Wingspan, and Jamie Stegmeier, of course, our personal friend, Jamie Stegmeier. Um, and then uh, Volker Runka, who we've also talked to. I suppose we could call him a close personal friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, well, I, I didn't know he was in instructor is an instructor at the CIA's Sherman Kent School for Intelligence Analysis. So when we were interviewing him, there were like 16 other people listening in while we were interviewing him. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, he was uh, the Freedom the Underground Railroad, which I think I've played this. I, it seems like, like I've played this game before. I it's, have uh, not, but it's, I really would like to. I've, I've looked at it for a while, and mm-hmm. I, it's it just looks really interesting to me. And uh, what's it? Andean Abyss, Insurgency yep. and Counterinsurgency in Colombia. It's the first coin game. Okay. So I mean, that's for sure. Is uh, of course he. Wait, did he list I, his own game? <laughs> he, you did. know, I can yes. I can kind of forgive that though, <laughs> because it is kind of a groundbreaker sort of thing. Yeah, and the coin um, series definitely. I mean, it started something. So. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, like I said, so, I want to do a coin game based in the Burger Wars or the Cola Wars, one of those two. <laughs> uh, so you know, at, be... at one time Pepsi had the fifth largest navy in the world. Yes, I know that. Oh. Strange bit of trivia. <laughs> was it something about uh, uh, Colombia or something? No, it was the Russians. The Russians paid them in scrap metal from their their old ships. Okay. And before yep. Pepsi had the chance to actually scrap them, they had the fifth largest navy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you're going to be seeing a lot of these kind of the end of the decade kind of posts coming up about you know as far as board games go. There was another one I was looking for that uh, was kind of the most influential games of the decade. And Gloomhaven was right up there, along with, I believe, number one was Scythe, was in the uh, the list I was reading before, and I was I looked for it, and I could not find it. But Scythe ranks number one as far as uh, influential games of the decade in this particular... So we can talk about ours in two weeks. We can talk about, we could do a yearly review or a decade review type of thing. 
Yeah, I think so. I think we should do that. <clears throat> Absolutely. So, and so I'll look for that, listener. On there that I'm designing. All right. <laughs> Which I'm not even designing one, but. <laughs> All right. Well, does that bring us to the end of the show? I think it did. Did we rise? I think we've arrived. Yeah. All right. This is what happens when we don't record for a while. We get a really long one with an interview thrown in as well. I know. This is going to be like a three-hour show. Well, But that's it. okay because it's snowing here in St. Louis, which means everybody's going to be stuck in traffic because nobody knows how to drive. And they're going to they're going to be stuck in traffic for three hours. And they're going to go, at least I've got this podcast to listen uh, to. So you're saying there's no school tomorrow? Probably not. Okay. Well, <laughs> no school in St. Louis, kids. You heard it here first. So. <laughs> yeah, we're not. <laughs> Breaking so, news. Stay home. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, going to be a good night. We hope. Yeah, I'm glad you're still here. Glad you're talking to us and listening to us. And uh, yeah, so we'll see you um, next time for episode 42, which will be the meaning of life. So there you go. Good well, night, everyone. Be Merry well, Christmas. everybody. Happy holidays.